Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promoting for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Welcome to Podcast Like It's 1992, the podcast where we talk about the films of 1992 here from our perch in 2023. I am one of your hosts, Phyllis Gove. And I am your special guest host, Emily St. James, standing in this week for my wonderful, beautiful master, the Count himself, (laughs) Dracul. He asked me to come in and I was he like, did. well, you've got me in your he thrall, did. so I might as well go host a podcast. <laughs> it's true. It's true. I So basically, um, there was no question in my mind that Clay Keller was going to be one of our guests for this podcast. Clay Keller, co-host and, and co-creator of the Screen Drafts podcast. Um what are my favorite what podcasts? That says about play, I don't know. Well, because I, I, I'm gonna, I'm going right. to, I'm going to, I'm going to expand on that. The other voice you heard there is the dulcet tones of Tom Meissen, who is our other guest today. The reason that I that I spotlighted Clay for a moment here is because there's no bigger fan I know of this movie on Twitter, at the very least, than Clay Keller, and there's a lot of right. big fans of this film. Um. When you know when 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 I decided that we were going to do ninety two and this movie is a prominent ninety two movie, I was like, well, Clay has to be one of the guests. And then I, there's just a part of me, and I I don't know what this says about what I think of you, Tom, but I was just <laughs> like, Gary Oldman, I need to hear what Tom has to say about Gary Oldman. Like Gary Oldman, a, a obviously a big British actor, um, a, a fascinating career which we will unpack. Mm. And on top of all of this. <laughs> Muppets I don't think Christmas. British actors are allowed to dislike Gary Oldman. We're not allowed. Apparently to. not. Yeah, that's. <laughs> I mean, but what I was going to say as well is Muppet Christmas Carol. When I reached out to to Tom Meissen and what said, a segue, what a segue. Hold on, <laughs> I, I didn't expect that. 
Here's it's it, it, it makes sense in a second. When I reached out to you, Tom, in the early days of of figuring out, you know, what guests wanted what movies, you were like, I must have Muppet Christmas Carol. That's my number one with a bullet. And I was like, okay. And then when I reached out to Clay, Clay's response was, I must have Muppet Christmas Carol. It's my fucking movie. And I was like, you know what? I'm creating a pair between these two now. We're making this happen. Perfect. It's going to be great. You guys are going to come on for Muppet Christmas Carol. I can only imagine what Emily has to say about Muppet Christmas Carol. When we get to the Christmas movies, Emily's a huge Christmas person, so it's going to be great. You also now have to always appear together, and we have signed you to the Sister Act episode. So get ready <laughs> yeah, for that. <laughs> but all of this is to say, um, I want to kind of get, obviously, Clay, your history with this movie. Like, did you see this as a kid? Like, was this a movie that that sort of, was this an early movie of yours that mm-hmm. you loved? Or is this something that's grown over the years? Well, first of all, Phil, I would like to say... Um, it's, a, it's an honor and a pleasure to meet Tom, my new uh, arranged <laughs> marriage podcast husband. Uh, this is, we're just working out. If you like each other, you know what? Yeah, and we're just, we're, we're sussing gonna, it out. We're no, yeah. you going to be out. We, yeah. we commit to this now. And even if this goes horribly, we <laughs> come back. Clay, you, you have very kind eyes. If I was going to be married <laughs> off to someone, I'm pleased it's you. Yeah, see, I, uh, I, knew, this, I knew this would be fun. The pleasure is all mine. Um, yeah, Phil. No, this it's very. It, I gotta say, it's it's a little amusing to me that you that in your eyes I am the biggest fan of this movie because I love this. I love this movie, but I think this is one of those things where early in our friendship, I think I, I tweeted something or you tweeted something. I responded to it, and and one of the first things we bonded over or one of the first things you knew about me was that I loved this movie. And I think that that sort of turned into, you know, like when you have an aunt that only knows one thing about you (laughs) and then you're like, Oh, you like penguins. And then every year for for Christmas, you get like a penguin something. I think you, in your head, you sort of inflated. Like I do not have a scholarly, uh, you know, I, I, I adore this movie. I've seen it many, many times. I can't wait to talk about it, but I don't have, I feel like, you're, you've built me up as some sort of a uh, an authority well, I, on this film. I think it's also because on top of everything else, anyone who listens to your podcast knows that I went on a Winona Ryder draft with yes. uh, Dana Schwartz. And this movie was not on our draft. Um, and as I tweeted when I rewatched this film recently, uh, it's, it was a huge mistake. <laughs> this movie definitely should have been on the Winona Ryder draft. Um, I think I think she's great in it, and and, and I also, it. I also what, think what, what 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 was on it? On the uh, it was Heather's Beetlejuice, Edward Scissorhands, Little Women. Uh, reality. I'm just, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna fucking look this up. Oh. The, yeah, that was that was there's was reality bites there. did make it. That was the big point of yeah. contention. That was the, that was, was the, that was when the that was when the but draft while, almost went sideways. While Emily looks this up, uh, I have I, I have it. Okay, have it. Uh, Emily, go for it. It's uh, Heather's was number one. Uh, mm-hmm. Number two sure. was Edward Scissorhands. Uh, number three was Beetlejuice. Uh, number four was Reality Bites. Uh, number five was Little Women. Number six was Age of Innocence, and number seven was Mermaids. Black Swan was uh discarded was vetoed and heathers was right. vetoed but then moved obviously moved up higher in the ranks i i right. think that it ultimately i mean not so to in a sense age of innocence sort of filled in for the 
period. It was, it was Little Women that I remember feeling less than, and I don't know what everybody's feelings are in Little Women. I think Little Women is fine. Um, hey, I did. I didn't. This love fucking it. slaps that movie. <laughs> Yes. Fucking rules. Best adaptation of Little Women. That's See, I, that's favorite. where we're going to, that's where our, our roads part, uh, it seems. Little I, Women I... fucking slaps is not a sentence <laughs> you hear every day. And more's the pity. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, my point was, I, I yeah. had not seen any Little Women adaptations until I saw Greta Gerwig. So that was the first one I saw. And then watching mm. the 90 th- 95 version afterwards or 94 version afterwards, I was less than enthralled with it. So I kind of put it on the draft because I felt like people were like, well, everyone loves Little Women, so I got to put it on here. Hindsight being what it is, I would have put Bram Stoker's Dracula. But that being oh, You would have been wrong. Yeah. But you know what? You, you should have put them both on. Yeah. But let's just be yeah, honest. Yeah, Mermaids really probably doesn't need to be on there. Yeah, hey, get, get hold Mermaids on. out of there. Bob Hoskins. Anyway, I, yeah, yeah, Mermaids is more of a Bob Hoskins movie than a, it than a more of a share movie, quite honestly. More of a share movie. Well, to, yeah. but anyway, if you'll to quickly yes. answer your question, no, yes. I did not grow up with this movie. Okay. Had I seen this movie at too young an age, I probably would have been disgusted by it, uh, or it would have changed my life. It would have accelerated my oddness by ten or fifteen years. But sure, no, I sure. saw this as an adult. Uh, for the first time, probably in my late twenties, and I immediately okay. felt it was one of the, it's one of those discoveries where you see this, and you know, I feel like in the last five or ten years on the internet, this movie has uh, sort of not not re- doesn't need to be reclaimed because it was well received at the time and it was nominated mm-hmm. for Oscars and people love it, but it's one that people just don't really talk about, and yeah. until recently, I think until the last five or ten years, you see more of it popping up, and it's kind of being uh, finally uh, celebrated. Uh, as the, the 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 classic that it is but yeah when i saw it it was one that no one ever talked about it was like a, a coppola deep cut nobody mm. ever talked about it and it was one of those movies you watch and we all have these you're like why why are people not talking about this all the time this movie I, is beyond just being an incredible movie just the way they made it is yeah, so yeah that's the interesting and i wonder and, if people are talking about it more now because it's so rare to see a film with practical effects and well, now, this level I mean, of we're so effects. bombarded with yeah. uh, with CGI that to see something that I'm going to say modern, mm-hmm. it, even though it's not really, but relatively modern, to use almost entirely practical effects is just so joyful. It's so lovely yeah. to see people use a bit of imagination and creativity and uh, some magic. I love well, it. To, yeah. to- to I agree with that 100 percent and also sort of go one step farther with it. You know, Francis Ford Coppola was at the time very sort of outspoken about the antiquated filmmaking techniques they were using within this. Like, I mean, literally, they're basically doing old map paintings, yeah. zoetropes, wow. any number of things that they could be doing that was from sort of the old style of, of filmmaking and, and the tactility of it. And just sort of that that really kind of it's clearly a love letter to filmmaking, right? To all the various ways that you can make film. And and that's why I think at the time you had this sort of I mean, I'm I, campy is kind of probably the way to, to look at some of these performances and some of the way theatrical. That this film was, it's very theatrical. Right. And that marriage of of this sort of classicism and theatricality. I just mm. don't think that people got it at the time. I mean, not that it didn't make a lot of money. It did. But I just mean, 
in terms of like, re- you know, revering it, I don't think people knew how to really. It's funny it. because it's so hard not to just completely dig it now. Just oh, yeah. everything about yes. it is so much fun. It's a re- I don't know about you, but I found it a real treat. Yes. The style of it. Yes. And yet that will <laughs> never be made now. That would no. never, ever be made. And what a pity. And the fact that it's getting, you know, not a resurgence, let's not be over the top, but mm. people are thinking of it more favorably. Yeah. I mean, it's such a shame, mainly because, let's face it, I'd suit that. I, I could be in that. I could go and ham it up with some <laughs> with some dry ice and a couple of green lights <laughs> on me. I would yeah. love to, I would love to see you in that sinewy armor. I think you'd yes. pull it off. I think it'd yes. be great. Yeah, what, just striding what across the battlefield. The film. <laughs> what a way to start! They decide his yeah. armor is going to be he's flayed. Why not? It's. it's I mean, yeah. th- this is one of the things too, where like the score is incredible, the costumes are incredible. Like this, it's it almost feels too. And again, I'm not a horror connoisseur. Emily and I just recently did a Candyman episode, um, so you know we can talk about the parallels that they surprisingly are between these two films. But I also just sort of, I don't think that people respect the genre of horror, right? Like I think that Francis Ford Coppola kind of came at this thing and was like, I'm going to make a, you know sweeping love story but also like this weirdly horny horror movie with all these like dialed up crazy performances and i just i I just think that it made people not take it seriously which i think is a bummer it is a bummer and obviously i can't speak to how people took it at the time i did not do the research of looking up i mean i I have a little bit we'll talk about that reviews or anything because i know you do that so yeah Uh, yes i I didn't bother but i did watch i mean if you can track them, I mean, if you can track down, it's probably $8 on Amazon. But if you get the disc of this, the Blu-ray, I mean, I just got the 4K, which is beautiful. But all of the gorgeous. special features are held over from the, the mid-2000s Blu-ray release. And their special features on this are fantastic. And they go really Brilliant. deep on... There's two different featurettes, uh, Tom, just about the Making practical it. effects than the way they, they, they did all of that. Wow. Um, so it's really fun. But yeah, it is, you know, Coppola saying that he... Uh, kind of like um, uh, Peter Jackson with King Kong, like uh, Dracula was his sort of, when he was a little kid, that was the movie and the story that he really, really latched onto and felt sort of ownership over. But he was always frustrated through the years that nobody ever did the book. It was always Dracula as this, like, just creep, (laughs) just (laughs) creep in the shadows, uh, you know, manipulating people. And he's, I just, he just wanted to do the book. Uh, and this, and this is the, and this is the book, I guess. But yeah, and it's a time honored, you know, as you said, Candyman. I mean, I think there's many, uh, uses of this, this narrative in a non-Dracula context of this, uh, epic, tragic, uh, gener- you know, lo- love story that goes across, uh, hundreds of years. Generations, yeah. Generations. And it's, um, yeah, uh, uh, and the performances too. Yeah. Like you couldn't do, the performances, I think, are perfectly calibrated to 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 match what's going on, but behind Absolutely. and and around them, the whole thing <laughs> has this the yeah, theatrical dialed up nature that I think I think people, you know, because because it was not a bomb, people either were still riding high. I don't know 
was Coppola's previous movie to this? I mean, people obviously uh, responded to it at the question. time. I think it just, it's a tough story. It became passe probably almost immediately. You've got this movie, which is this, I think at the time, very rare for people to do this entirely in camera. It's not just that they're not using CGI or green screens. They're not even compositing in in the edit. They are like double exposing things. Like it yeah. is entirely on the celluloid. Uh, even then it was rare. And then Jurassic Park comes out the next year and nobody ever even considers doing anything approaching this ever again. Which is funny because with Jurassic Park of the, I can't remember how many thousand shots there are in it. Mm -hmm. There are only 60 shots with CGI. And it's mostly um, like the fucking green smoke and shit. Like it's, it's weird kind of composite stuff, but I think, I think that it is really interesting and telling about Coppola that like he was like well we got to adapt the book and like this is kind of an adaptation of the book it changes a lot of shit it's like a it's a it's a different story and he was like the thing that I'm missing in my Dracula is someone who's super horny and like that was the thing that he was like this is what we're not getting from the book you know he's not wrong that that repressive sexuality is all in the subtext of the book it's just like not yeah you know not as front of mind as it is for him (laughs) You know what's funny about that? When he first fell in love with a book I read, mm. he was working when he was a teenager, he was working in a theatre camp over summer. Mm. And he was really into this girl. And so he couldn't go and visit the girl until his kids were asleep. So he'd read them Dracula and it would make them fall asleep. Oh, wow. And he could go off and get horny with this girl. <laughs> and so from the very beginning, he's associating Dracula with... With sex, yeah. With sex and theatre camp. <laughs> or, as we like to put it, theatre camp. Ooh. For this film. Thank you so much. Uh, I do so think, already, though... Already there's hyperdrama and, and secret horniness yep. associated with a book. From the just, very beginning, and that's just, why he gone. Go ahead. Sorry, I I was. Uh, you should finish that talk because I was just going to throw in a bit of context. Go ahead. <laughs> no, please, please. Context is better than Tom Mason. <laughs> just, just to like uh, answer a question from earlier. His film immediately preceding this is The Godfather Part Three, which is his say, yeah. his final nomination for Best Director at the Oscars. Uh-huh. As of right now, you know, maybe he'll get nominated for his Megalopolis. That's right, Megalopolis. Yeah. yeah. So and- th- he. He's coming off Godfather 3, which like obviously was a hit and was an Oscar play, but like was a disappointment in a lot of ways. And um, also was supposed to star Winona Ryder. But go ahead, Phil. Correct. Which is why he did the Phil's nodding because he clearly knows this. So Winona was supposed to play um, Michael Corleone's daughter and then had to pull out because she got sick Mm -hmm. and pull out at the very last minute, which is why Coppola said... Come on, Sophia, you're gonna you're gonna do it. It'll all it'll all turn out fine. What could go uh, wrong? And uh Winona Ryder felt so terrible about it that when she read this amazing script for Dracula, she took it straight to him to say, Look, I'm really sorry about Godfather Three, but if you still want to work with me, I would love to do this with you to make up for it. Which is interesting. I mean, I think that I mean, listen, I I think that Godfather part three has problems outside of Sofia Coppola's performance. So I, I don't think that, that, you know, people yes, that think yeah. that if Winona Ryder was in that role, all of a sudden this movie would have been up to snuff with the previous two films, I think is a little bit naive, but I do think that um, 
what's interesting is that Godfather Part Three is obviously a hit, but it doesn't make as much money as Dracula does. Mm-hmm. Um, Dracula makes almost a hundred million dollars more than it. So it's it's not as though he he doesn't follow up one hit with another. It's then it's that he follows it up with Jack and give us the numbers, Bill. Give us the numbers. I love it when you do the numbers. <laughs> so uh, just to give a little bit of context, uh, this film is about Count Dracula, a 15th century prince who's condemned to live off the blood of the living for eternity. Young lawyer Jonathan Harker is sent to Dracula's castle to finalize a land deal. But when the Count sees a photo of Harker's fiancée Mina, the spitting image of his dead wife, he imprisons him and sets off to London to track her down. Uh, Bram Stoker's Dracula opened on November 13th, 1992 against Passenger 57, A River Runs Through It, Under Siege, and The Mighty Ducks. It would go on to make two... two, (laughs) What a weekend at the movies. (laughs) As you were listing movies, I assumed... There would be a couple, a couple, a couple of good ones. He's you know, Pastor Fifty Seven, like cool, and then there's going to be some dread. And no, it got better. It just got this better as you went. I gotta say, first of all, it's become an ongoing joke that that we always tack on the Mighty Ducks, but the Mighty Ducks did actually open this weekend. But that's neither here nor there. Um, <laughs> what I do think is interesting, Emily, and I'm sure you've noticed this too as we've been doing this. Uh, it was a pretty banger year. Like it, it was really kind of the spectrum with which moviegoers could see right like you could go to a cinema and you could choose between passenger 57 the mighty ducks and dracula like there was just a lot of stuff out there which obviously is just not the case anymore anyway uh dracula has 77 percent on rotten tomatoes from critics 79 from audiences roger ebert gave the film three stars and says coppola directs with all the stops out and the actors perform as if afraid they will not be audible in the other theaters of the multiplex <laughs> the sets are a grand opera run riot a gothic extravaganza intercut with victorian london of gaslights and fogbound streets rogues and top hats and bad girls and bustiers keanu reeves is a serious young man of the future hardly knows what he's up against with Car dracula and neither do we since dracula cheerfully changes form from an ancient wreck to a presentable young man to a cat and a bat and a wolf the, uh, the movie the movie simply uh the movie simply for the way it looked and fell production designer dante freddy and tom sanders who have done themselves cinematographer michael ballas gets into the spirit so completely it always seems to light with shadows oldman and Ryder and hopkins pant with eagerness the movie is an exercise in feverish excess and for that if for little else i enjoyed it um i think that's a fair review i mean i i, I think that um it is interesting that i want to talk about the keanu reeves thing for just a quick second because it does yeah. feel like the thing that this movie gets tagged with most if you you know look online is that at the time keanu reeves performance everyone was like what the fuck is this guy doing in this movie um, and aside from him aging really poorly throughout this film, that's maybe the only problem with this movie is, is the just making his a, a dusting of gray hair. I mean, it's a good look. It's a good look. That's the best but part I, of his performance. I I actually don't hate him in this movie. Jonathan Harker's a dope. No, neither do I. Neither do I. He the is act- a dope. No, yeah. The I was gonna the actual Keanu Reeves has aged more unrealistically than the Keanu Reeves <laughs> in this movie because he like he looks like he has a portrait of Dorian Gray somewhere. But yeah, um yes. I I kind of love him in this movie. I think yeah. it's a I think it is a I don't think it's a good performance, but I think it's in service of what the movie's trying to do. Yeah. So I'm not gonna say it's like intentionally bad. I think that's dismissive of what he's doing, but he's like playing a modern character dropped into this world. <laughs> 
And that's like what the movie needs from him. Like the guy who like has modern attitudes about this, who's like overwhelmed by Dracula. It's really smart casting, if nothing else. Yeah. I, he seems to be working really hard. It's the opposite of intentionally bad. He's working <laughs> his socks off. Oh, he's he really giving does. it so much welly. Um, and like you say, Phil, Parker, there's not a great deal you can do with Harker anyway. <laughs> no, he's not. If, if anybody's knock on this movie is that they don't like Keanu's performance. Yeah. Keanu's in like 12 minutes of this movie. Like it's not, it's, how is that, uh, you know, diminishing <laughs> yeah. the movie for you at all? And I think the only problem with Keanu, and I, look, I am fully on board with the, uh, we, we love Keanu. He's a sure. great screen presence. He's a great m- movie star. And he's well cast, to Emily's point. Uh, even in stuff where he seems out of his depth in terms of technique, he is always like well utilized. The only problem is, as Mr. Ebert said, uh, the performances are are playing to the back of the theater uh, in such a uniform way that the, the only problem is that Keanu, he can only maintain the accent when he is at sort of like a, like a, like an indoor voice, like, like uh, level. <laughs> the one time he tries to get like angry and worked up, the accent just explodes and goes everywhere. <laughs> he, he's true. just, he can't, I think he can't let himself uh, get, well, he, to a, yeah, get, get to a, a 11 like everybody else. <laughs> like he doesn't modulate is. well in this movie. Like he's kind of, <laughs> flat which is not bad like I, the weird part no it's fine that... he's well he's well cast if you want to if you yeah. if you want to have a character in dracula who is half suspects he's in a community theater production of dracula and can't <laughs> escape jonathan harker is the one to go with and i think that works in this movie i i also think it's worth noting too that the reason this film is called bram stoker's dracula is because they couldn't just call it dracula because universal owned the the singular title which I think is kind of funny because it started a whole trend that to this day we still have where to legitimize your property, you put the author's name in front of it and you go like, oh, wow, I mean, this is William Shakespeare's Romeo right. and Juliet. This, of course. this is the authorized version. <laughs> this is the author- <laughs> exactly. Which I think is, I mean, you got Mary Shelley's Frankenstein that comes out a few years after this. Like it really does become sort of a trend, which is kind of unintentional, but it does add this authority to the title which i think is kind of funny it that's interesting phil this movie was such a hit that it spawned a a theatrical uh, erotic (laughs) version of frankenstein (laughs) with if only that had been a hit we could have gotten uh hg wells's like uh, theatrical (laughs) erotic invisible man it's a a shame that that trend jules burns erotic version of uh, to the center of the 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 world (laughs) Um, I, I I do think that part of why this movie was sort of forgotten because contemporaneously it was well reviewed. It was a hit. It won Oscars. It like I had a memory of this this being like a thing that people just really loved. And I guess yeah. everybody younger than me just like it kind of slipped off the radar. But I do think it got sucked into. There were so many movies with that title naming convention, yeah. and most of them were bad. Like uh, William Shakespeare's Romeo and Juliet's kind of the other one that's good, but like. Mm. That Frankenstein is dreadful. And there it's were dreadful. so many Jane Austens that were pretty bad. You know, it, it just, it just, yeah. it never quite hit the heights of this again. I agree. Yeah. I mean, this, Mary Shelley's Frankenstein, which I also, which I remember seeing in the theater. Um, the, the only real thing that stays with me about that film is the, I guess the birth sequence where there's just so much amniotic fluid and they're slipping around. Like, yes. Yeah, so, oh, it's Brana. It's, is it Brana? <laughs> oh, it's Brana behind the camera. It's Brana in front of the camera. 
it's uh, yeah and darabont wrote the script it's that's one of those things too where you're just like had that hit you do wonder whether or not we would have got although i guess we have got a lot of reinterpretations of these classic monster movies so it's not like we've Anyway. Right, but I, I so and Verhoeven I, did make an Invisible Man movie, so I guess I don't know what I'm complaining about. And there's we like did, there is uh, pa- uh, the YouTuber Patrick H. Willems has always sort mm-hmm. of listed um, Dracula and uh, Frankenstein, and then uh, Wolf, the Mike Nichols Jack Nicholson movie, yes, as like a course. really loose trilogy of like yes. remaking those old Universal movies, unofficially remaking them. But yeah, none I mean, of were none of them Universal then. They were all outside. No. Yeah, they were all outside. Yeah, uh, Hollow Man was Sony. I believe that Wolf Hollow was Man. as well, if I'm not mistaken. Wolf is also a unnecessarily horny movie too. Like that. That's what. <laughs> that's like Wolf. <laughs> but what if horny Wolf? This is the dark universe <laughs> that, they, Phil, that we all yeah. needed, but the horny universe. <laughs> Phil, have you met a wolf? Like wolves are. Wolves are you pretty know, horny, you're right? What if horny wolf? No, that what if what if not <laughs> horny wolf? That's what you get worried about. I so I mean, I believe I am the oldest on this uh, on this episode. So I remember seeing the trailer for this film in theaters. Um, I don't remember what I saw it in front of, but it scared the fuck out of me. <laughs> like me the, it, it was ultimately what stayed with me because they don't show you a lot of like beast dracula but old dracula scared the shit out of me like in the trailer it's so gross and so scary the makeup is so good and it haunted my dreams gary oldman in that that moment in the trailer which i believe is the end of the trailer which is him like laughing and cackling as it goes to an irish shot which is just amazing but Mm -hmm. I just, I couldn't shake that image so much so that even when I watch it today, it still kind of gives me a little bit of the willies. <laughs> like there's something yeah. about it. Phil, mm. that might be the reason why I, even as I was becoming a cinephile and, and you know, going to film school and seeking out all of this stuff and filling in all my blind spots, especially from a filmography like Coppola's, why I avoided this because the key art for this movie they keep using is like white Dracula, like licking blood <laughs> off a thing. I'm like, I don't want to, uh, if they, if I want to see the, you know, uh, scream factory version of this poster where it's got the swashbuckling and uh, uh, Van Helsing with the three, you know, uh, uh, concubine heads. And it's, yeah. yeah the, I, that's, that's like the oh, fun, right, the, right. the fun stuff. Like oh, then I would have yeah. seen this movie. I'm like, is this whole movie going to be, cause you know, as you know, whether or not the, the brain sees the key art and then assumes that's what the movie is going to yeah. Yeah. to to be this is representative of the movie and i was like i don't want to look at gross white white makeup <laughs> I, gary oldman I don't for two see hours the hairy hands that's yeah, disgusting the living piss out of me just hairy hairy hands that's all it took and watching it again this week it triggered me the hands i oh, immediately so went back to being a child seeing the hairy hands <laughs> when you talk. You just brought up sort of this idea of like how everyone is so big and the performances are so big. And Anthony Hopkins is playing big, but weirdly oh. seems like reasonably muted compared to like what everyone that's else what, is doing. Which says no, that's why Anthony Hopkins is one of the best actors in the world. Yeah, because he can just take a fucking huge swing and he smacks it out of the park every time because he can do these big wild ideas but make it completely plausible you completely right. believe that he's this 
insane vampire hunter. Mm-hmm. And you could put him with any cast and mm-hmm. he'd be both wildly eccentric and completely plausible and outdo everyone. I I think it probably helps that he's... That most of his time is spent with the three... Uh, the three lovers of Sadie Frost, the yes, husband yes, yes. And, the, and the two oh, others. It's, uh, yeah, it's between I mean, Grant and Carrie always. Keanu, you, you said that Keanu was yeah. was one note throughout. Yeah. Those three are one note throughout. Correct. And Tony Hopkins just finds a little bit of everything. He takes from each of the characters and responds to them in a completely different way. And it's magic. I could watch him yeah. all the time. And to know that he came off Hannibal Lecter to this... It's he what, is, it yeah. is what, he's having a really well, he, fun time. He's the he is what make he is what elevates this movie from a great move from a great movie to like a really great classic revisited every year movie. He is the energy he brings is incredible. And again, I you know, I was just this morning watching these behind the scenes featurettes mm-hmm. and and this the process, I mean, to, to your point, Tom. The process of finding the right balance and finding the performance here. I mean, they had a, a week or two weeks of a retreat rehearsal on this movie up to the the Napa Valley where Coppola brought the entire cast, you know, the entire, you know, primary cast, cast and the cinematographer, the editor, the he had everybody up there in a like an empty gymnasium. And they not only uh, rehearsed, but they read the book out loud to each other as a group. They played improv games. There's a whole section where they're playing improv games. He hasn't been doing improv or a, a a like warm up acting exercise that I'd never seen before, which is they they are act, they had them act out the scenes as though it were a like 1912 silent movie and he had someone on a piano like plinking out like and they're all like walking around just sort of indicating uh-huh. and talking like he really they got into it but also he said he did this thing where he, he said he had them all like you know look at the book again and if there's something in the book that's not in the script that the, the actors thought should be in it to to send him those ideas and they'll put it all in the script and uh oh. it, it, it was it's just it was uh, this the process of making this movie was so i think, it I think yeah it, i'm not surprised that they they did something to unite them as a team having a laugh because you can kind of yeah. tell that, especially well, it, with the three yeah. the three suitors, they're a real oh, unit. It Absolutely. really feels very you know you, you guys have said theatrical, but it it also feels like a theater troupe, right? Like right. it does feel as though everyone is on the same page. They all understand what movie they're in, um, and and you do feel that. I mean, I, I don't know that camaraderie is the right word, but there is a sense of this mm-hmm. whole everyone's working towards a common goal because they're don't wildly see. different actors yes all yes of them. yes i mean if you think that my god you've got keanu reeves gary oldman anthony hopkins tom waits carrie oh, elwes tom waits richard e grant winona right all in the same film you think <laughs> yeah. how is that possibly going to gel and it gels because you take them to Napa Valley and you do drama school. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And, and, yeah. and Coppola, Tom, to your story, he was talking about how he was a drama counselor in his oh, youth. And this was like recreating the drama. But my point about Anthony Hopkins was the dancing thing, which is one of the yes. great, one of those great moments where he has this sort of burst of eccentricity where he grabs Win- Win- Winona Ryder seemingly out of nowhere and does a little 
does a little like like uh, twirly dance and then smells her and then is like, all right, go off and see your friend. Uh, was that was a, a Hopkins idea? He pitched it in the rehearsal process. There's it. footage of him showing it to Coppola for the first time, but it speaks to the the process between actor and and director and kind of uh, throwing ideas out and then finding the right way to do them. Is in the movie, he does the dance, da 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 da, and then he does kind of like a slight lean in, a little smell, and then he sort of you know, all right, off you go. In the way he pitched it, he spins around and then he very much like Hannibal Lecter, like pulls her face in and goes like. And does this like animalistic, <laughs> disgusting thing where he smells her entire face and then he like kisses yeah. her and throws her away. It's like that, like that is how you that's the kernel of the idea and then modulating <laughs> it down to something that's not horrifying. Also, if you want to see Anthony Hopkins, he said this was the most interesting movie he'd ever worked on at the time when he gave this interview. But the way he leans wow. back and grins and is like, it's very erotic, is like. Anthony Hopkins was very into the idea of this movie being erotic. It's, you know, I do think the movie that I was also thinking about as I rewatched it this time um, was actually uh, Burton's Sleepy Hollow um, in terms of the, uh, you know, the tactility, the old school, you know, the the reverence to to old horror films, a different brand of horror film. I mean, obviously he was doing sort of the, the hammer films of, of a certain period. And right. I do think there's there are some similarities in terms of just sort of um, the production style um, I, I do think, though, I mean, and I'm curious as to what you guys think. Like, I, I think that the script of this movie is maybe the weakest part of the film, just in the sense that it is um, it's too straight a line. I feel like like I forgot watching it this time. A large swath of this movie is just dealing with Sadie Frost. <laughs> like a lot of this movie is dealing with Sadie Frost, um, which is fine. But I would say maybe too much is spent on I that. I couldn't deal with Sadie Frost, I'm afraid. <laughs> <laughs> she's she's the it, weakest link, perhaps. Well, I think, and also it's interesting that it was Winona who took it to Coppola mm-hmm. because the, the women's parts are not interesting in the slightest. No, really. Her slightly more than Sadie, but they're, they're really, really boring parts. Can I just say... To be victims. Can I yeah. say something that's going to frustrate and infuriate you all? Uh-oh. Sadie Frost gives my favorite performance in this <laughs> I think she's... I think she's fantastic. I think she's... I. You know what? I genuinely am like, maybe I, I would it. nominate her for an Oscar for that. I just... There's something about her... There's just something about her feral, unchained, uh, totally unlocked sexual being that's been repressed all these years that it's like there is an essentially terrifying femininity to it that she is tapped into in a way that the movie kind of is not sure how to handle and i'm just like i was i spent the whole movie kind of in awe of her performance and was like when she died the movie became a little less fun for me like honestly i'm sort of with emily on this uh i i have no problem with sadie frost and i think all that stuff is really uh well done and again, like really taps into the gothic horror and the uncomfortable uh, hyper eroticism. And it's really her. I think she goes, it's like what it says, introducing Sadie Frost. I don't know if that's accurate, if it was, it's clearly yeah, a very see. early yeah. role for her, but she uh, dives into it with a plum and is just willing no, to do yeah, whatever. It's, no criticism of, says. Of her. it's just the, the part it distracts goes from, from the main story goes from hypersexualized friend of Winona Ryder 
to hypersexualized dead friend of Winona Ryder. <laughs> and that's the journey. There's sure, definitely tropes. Sure. They're definitely dealing with tropes here in this in this uh, with <laughs> sure. some of these characters. I, I but I often love Lucy in Dracula adaptations. I think that she is mm. she's kind of the Barb from Stranger Things of Dracula, where <laughs> <That's> like <true. laughs> where she like comes in and is kind of just there to be a victim, and it's such a hard part to do anything with. And I feel like like Sadie Frost really taps into something interesting and, and kind of terrifying here. Well, I, I think this is going yeah. back to Phil's point of the, the script being the weakest thing because so many of the parts, there's you go on and you do that bit. You go on and you be one of the yeah. three husbands <laughs> who are right. interchangeable on the on the page. You go in and you be the uh, the hypersexualized one. And it's only, and you, or you go in and be Harker. I mean, good luck. You, the only interesting ones are Dracula and Van Helsing, really, and uh, Renfield, who, you know. <laughs> Tom Waits just absolutely murders. Waits. It's incredible. <laughs> I, I do think, though, first of all, I want to say, Emily, that I, I, don't, I don't necessarily disagree with you in the sense that I think that the role of Lucy is an interesting role. And I actually think that it starts from an interesting place. It just becomes a little one note in terms of once she turns, we're spending a lot of real estate on yeah. sort of, quite frankly, just logistically figuring out what's going on with her when it's obvious to us pretty early on what's sure. going on. So it's, it, it's a little bit of that. But is she I, I, yeah. is she written well? I I don't really think so. I I think the actress elevating the material. That also this never happens in the movie. But I always remember her three suitors arriving into scenes through the wall like Kool Aid <laughs> Man, just moving yeah. as a unit. Like that's <laughs> that's how I picture them in my brain. Literally, there's something so funny to me, and again theatrical, but almost like a musical or something, where they are all. She's got the, yes. the, the, yes. the three suitors. They're all archetypes. They all have one. They all have like a different accent. I love Carrie yeah. Elvis. God love him. I just okay. saw this oh, so Guy Ritchie movie where he <laughs> is in like an hour and. Fi- First of all, this new Guy Ritchie movie had way more Carrie Elwes in it than I was led to believe. And he's doing his, that guy loves pretending he's British more than Madonna. He, this guy <laughs> loves pretending he's British. I didn't realize it went so far back uh, all the way to, to Dracula. And I love Bill, Billy Campbell too, of just doing the, his like, I'm a cat. Oh, hey, you know, Miss Lucy. Like this is just, it's, I find it charming. There's something so simple and charming and straightforward about it. But the Phil, I think you're right. I agree with Emily. I think the Lucy stuff is well done and it's, and it's compelling um, cinema to me, but it takes exactly what you said. It takes up too much real estate. It's the thing that is, that doesn't play for me. And I've seen this movie six or seven times now. And the, the thing that always, I feel like needs to be stronger as much as all the, 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 the creators of this movie talk about how they wanted it to be about this, generational tortured uh tragic romance is i never get any chemistry between winona Ryder and gary oldman and i think it's maybe because there's just there's only like two scenes the the her falling in love with him that stuff never plays for me when i watch this well so i think there's probably a couple reasons for that it seems as though there was a somewhat contentious relationship between them on set quite frankly it seemed like gary oldman had that with everyone on set (laughs) ever in any movie he's ever made so i mean that's just what it is but i do feel like um he kind of showed up at this he's also 
we'll talk about Gary Oldman's career in a sec, but he is sort of at this moment, you know, he's kind of the new, the possibility of like, what, what could this guy be? Like, is this mm-hmm. the new guy that's going to blow up and, and see the next Hollywood? Brando? Right. And I think he kind of shows up a little bit with that energy on set, which quite frankly, isn't the wrong energy for this film, right? Like it does feel like everyone's sort of showing up with their energy and Coppola is weaponizing it smartly in terms of how to kind of play with everybody. But it also sort of feels like there, it, it kind of comes back to what you were saying. I don't remember if it was you, Tom, or if it was uh, you, Clay, but I think it was you, Clay, about how uh, if there's something from the book that we that you like or if there's an idea that you have, right, we're going to yeah. jam it into the script. So it all kind of feels like the script is this kind of kitchen sink of things that are almost, I hate to say incidental, but like it's such a vibe movie, right? Like Coppola is just like, I know what I want the vibe of this thing to be, which I think he called erotic dream. I like, he just wanted this to be like erotic horror. You know, I'm going to use all these old style of filmmaking techniques and all of that works like gangbusters so much so that it kind of rides for a script that is a little bit wobbly and isn't totally locked in, especially considering the love story, which should be paramount, right? Like Emily, you talked a little bit the other day, about when we were talking about Candyman, where like you have a similar dynamic between Helen and Candyman that you have between uh, Mina and Dracula. And I think, unfortunately, Mina and Dracula just don't get that much screen time to really, you know, unpack that. And, And what it does is it creates sort of situations where the first time they meet, the music swells and it's just trying to do all the work for short bursts. But I think um, I think that Candyman's a better movie than this movie. Not by much. I like them both a lot. But one of the reasons I think that is because I think Candyman is aware of all of the horrifying implications of of Candyman and Helen having this weird undying love that Helen is just being (laughs) roped into. And this movie, especially from the point of if if you look at it from the point of view of Mina, I don't know that it is as much as it should be. The script kind of lets her down in that regard because it's kind of like, oh, look, here's Dracula. I love him. Uh, wonderful. How good for me. And Winona Ryder's uh, one of my faves and was formative for me in the uh, uh, queer women's uh, want to kiss, want to be uh, dichotomy. But Damon. like she yeah, yeah, she was a coming <laughs> of age actress for me in that regard. But like it was um yeah, she just kind of gets screwed over by this movie, especially when I know Age of Innocence is coming just right kind of right on the heels yeah. of this where she's yeah. brilliant. And yeah, I think that's why I just don't I don't vibe with this movie as much as some people do. I think it's I think it's a really fun movie, a really good movie. I'm not saying it's bad. I, I, I wonder why in a film that really shows everything, there's very little left to subtext. It's showing everything. And if it needs to, it'll literally have, you know, eyes like behind Emily now, eyes in the sky. It'll show you so much and it'll do all of the magic tricks around it. I wonder why if there wasn't, because there clearly wasn't enough screen time between Mina and uh, Dracula, why they did nothing to show how he he grabs her, how he seduces her. Because there's something supernatural about him that clearly that's the seductive power. But but we don't see any of it. All of the stuff that we see of him watching her and the shadows around her, we've seen before. We've seen Dracula do that in other circumstances. It's almost 
tongue. And I don't like, know he why. hypnotizes her rather than seduces her, which I think narratively, we and if we, if we spirally eyes for that, exactly, yeah, exactly. Really if we, if you want the audience to <laughs> care about the romance as much as Coppolis seems to care about the romance, it does just feel like he shows up and bewitches her and turns her like the, the first scene they meet is that the first scene they meet is I, I actually like a lot where they, he, mm-hmm. he meets her on the street and he's flirting with her and he's being charming and he's doing a little bit of magic trick stuff to kind of intrigue her. But then it immediately goes to this very like, again, like dreamy surreal date that they're on. And it's all of a sudden it's for this very pedantic language. And, and it's, it's that, that flirty seduction energy is gone. And so, and we're already into him like, uh, hypnotizing her and the next time we see them she's dressed up in her hair is entirely different and she's like a vamp now and you're like wait i feel like we skipped a step here like this okay. is it does not progress in a way it, it, i never think of this movie as a romance when i think about it it's like the 15th thing down the list that i think of it as which is just it's funny which because that's funny. clearly what their goal well, the marketing is. is love lives forever love never dies or something along those lines was the tagline mm-hmm. right but the poster is gross gary oldman i, I, I know not, well, not the two of them <laughs> i agree it's it is it is interesting because i do feel with like hot hair, so oh, that's true i you know the the i just vividly remember the teaser poster um that just said beware and it was sort of this, it, it was a kind of a stone kind of gargoyle with a shadow. And right. I just, I remember vividly the the launch of this movie because it was just launched really well. I feel like the marketing for this film was was really strong. Um, and, and the love story was the thing that I still remember that they were really kind of running on, which is you haven't seen Dracula like this before. You haven't seen Dracula as a love story. Mm-hmm. Um and it's everyone what everyone is saying like it, it's a shame that that doesn't totally work <laughs> even though it is kind of the primary you know thing about this movie i'm realizing I how do, much yeah. that marketing cap capes from uh 89 batman like it's yes. trying to reduce yeah. yes. dracula yes. to a symbol that's that's right. i hadn't thought yes. about that before it, it absolutely is it, there, there is something very sort of i mean and and ironically or not ironically but it this was a sony movie and a couple years or the year previous was hook which they marketed also very similarly which is right the teaser poster the was just yeah. the hook and and it was very it's like everyone's trying to rip off the batman right. you know but it, it, and it's that thing it, to, to me it it that that is them saying we're so confident in this movie that we don't even have to market it. We don't even yep. have to yep. make a poster. That's how good this movie is. Uh, that's the energy it's putting out. And it's it's interesting yeah, that there was a whole, there's yeah. like five years where that. That was just worked. the thing. And it, and it did work. I mean, I do think just in terms of um, just a couple production things that I love, the idea that I guess they did a reshoot of Jonathan and Mina getting married um, and they shot it in a church with an actual priest, so it's possible that they're actually married. Uh, like that Winona <laughs> Ryder and Keanu Reeves might actually be married, uh, and they talk to each other as husband and wife. Uh, you know, when when they hang out, which I think is like kind the of end adorable. of Muppets Take Manhattan, where Piggy <laughs> tricks Kermit by bringing a, a pastor to the. Yeah, exactly. That makes sense it's to me. The same thing. Uh, I I think there's a, so apparently Liam Neeson was considered to play Van Helsing. Um, which I, which he, it's a, a, he still to this day is bummed that he didn't get the role, which I think is kind of amazing. Um, Buscemi was the first choice to play Renfield, which I kind of would have been into. I mean, he's a very, that is, he's a very platonic ideal of, (laughs) of a, a Renfield. 
Yeah. He, uh, yeah. I he looks like think... a man who eats rats. Yeah. <laughs> I really, really, really don't think anyone could top Tom Waits in this. I He's so good. He's, I absolutely, he's genuinely love him wholeheartedly in this. Yeah, he's he is fantastic. He also is given the gift of tremendous costumes and set design around. Like he is just surround. He, I mean, obviously he's great in the role, but that straight jacket that he has that reminds me of the straight jacket that the Riddler has at the end of Batman Forever, with the long arms and the ribbing and like these crazy fisheye shots from a high angle in his cell. Like he just, it's fucking great. The whole in the whole uh, insane asylum that they have that entire set that Richard E. Grant is also just it's so chewing upsetting. The it's so like viscerally unnerving. People with being like in that cages space. on their heads, like barred barred boxes on their heads. <laughs> Fucking incredible! Absolutely amazing. Um, I, I also love that. Apparently, Gary Oldman slept in a coffin uh, to to to, <laughs> to stay in character. Of course he did. That guy is such a weird... He was so... He was so weird on set that, like, again, I'm just going to go back mm-hmm. to just watch yeah. this behind-the-scenes stuff. It's just not, not yeah. you know, I don't have to keep, uh, sure. you know, re- recounting it. But he was so, like uh, such an issue on set that, like, it makes it into the behind-the-scenes stuff. Like, they couldn't put together a clip, like, like a BTS package without showing him being obstinate <laughs> on, <laughs> on set. Um, to the point where they have this thing where it's, like, a, an extended thing where... Coppola's like, all right, just say the line and come around the thing. And Gary Oldman is like, like, I need a mark. I can't do it without a mark. And he's, he's like, it's not complicated. Like, the camera doesn't need a mark. Just walk through and say your line. And he's like, give me a mark. I can't do it. And just, like, going back and forth. And it, uh, yeah, it seems like this set was, some people were having the time of their lives. And Oldman was really, like, well, str- so- like he was struggling through it. But, like, do it, like, in his process. His process almost seems to be, like, that he has to go through hell to, to play a part. And yes. can I, I have a question and this is mm-hmm. kind of for Tom because I feel like Tom knows everything about acting. That's just my yeah. assumption. Mm-hmm. I make now. Yes. You're not I wrong. don't really, do it. I don't really get Gary Oldman. I like him. He's given, <laughs> he's given performances. I've loved. Sure. I know a lot of people revere him, but like I first came to know him as the villain in every movie of the late nineties. And so he's mm-hmm. always kind of like lodged which, in my brain. Which is a shame. Way. And he's given performance. I love him in Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy. I think he's fantastic in that. But I'm kind of like wondering, I I just love your take on what he does that makes him so effective as an actor, leaving aside all the personal life stuff. Which Can I, before you answer that question, Tom, just very quickly, I want to kind of just give where we are in his his sort of filmography. He comes to prominence with Sid and Nancy, which is his second film, which is sort of this movie that everyone's like, who the fuck is this guy? He does a couple other sort of British-esque movies, Prick Up Your Ears, what have you. Henry and June, uh, Rosencrantz, Gilstrand, State of Grace are all 90, um, 1990. Uh, he's married to Uma Thurman at the time. Um, and after that, he's Lee Harvey Oswald and JFK. Um, and then it's this, True Romance, The Professional in 94, Immortal Beloved in 94, uh, Scarlet Letter, who could forget Scarlet Letter mm-hmm. in 95? Mm-hmm. Um, then it's Fifth Element, Air Force One, you know, and, and then he's just kind of falls into the, as you just said, Emily, he's kind of the villain. He is um, Sirius Black, and that kind of gets him back in people's good grace a little bit. Then he's in the Dark Knight as well. But Tom, to kind of speak to the actor that is Gary Oldman, um, what do you think it is? 
Uh, well, there's something very similar to uh, what we said about Hopkins earlier, mm. about being able to make wild choices, but have them completely believable, completely right, right, right. plausible. He can sell any choice. But what he has more than Hopkins is, and which is why he is so adept at villains, is he can do simmering violence, I think, better than anyone without having to show any external, without having to be threatening physically. Mm -hmm. He's so good at just being a, 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 a boiling pot. Mm -hmm. And I have no idea how. I think that's clearly just something that is natural to I him. I think it is natural. natural. I think I think it is natural, Tom, because this is my final. This yeah. is my final anecdote from the behind the scenes stuff. Uh, <laughs> but it speaks yes. to what you were just talking about. Is there was a scene? The scene uh, where in um, uh, Richard E. Grant's uh, apartment above the sanitarium, uh -huh. uh, where uh, the final seduction turning Mina into you know uh, a vampire scene, and everybody rushes in and confronts Dracula there like, in that apartment. It's the best. And they were not getting the energy right. So on set, Coppola pulled back from his bag of theater camp tricks and put blindfolds on everybody and went to and went to Oldman, who was in his uh, Batman, yes. Batperson yeah. makeup. Yeah. In full Batperson bat makeup, everybody's blindfolded. He said, I want you to walk around to the cast, sneak up on them, and whisper something horrifying and disturbing in their ears. Amazing. Uh, Amazing. And they show, and they, so they set this up and then they cut to the, the, after the, you know, after the fact talking head interviews with the cast and they're all like, I think Bill Campbell's like, yeah, he went around and Gary, whoo, <laughs> he, he can say some disturbed stuff. And then it goes to Gary Oldman and Gary Oldman just grins and is like, yeah, you don't, you don't want to let me do that. Like, he's like, he knows he's a fucking twisted fuck. Like, he was like, yeah, I I can go there. My brain is... <laughs> I mean, the thing, the thing yeah. about him with, the, with being a boiling pot is there's nothing more thrilling in an actor than... Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today having the sense of they really could do anything at right, any right. moment. You don't know what's going to happen next. And with him, especially playing Dracula, I'd shit myself if I was <laughs> blindfolded and I knew that at some point he was going to come up and do something. Because yeah. I believe it. 
and watching him and watching him in this. If he was doing, you know, the, the scene with um, the, with Keanu at the beginning, talking about real estate in London, and then suddenly he bit Keanu's face off, I'd buy it. Right. And he'd say, so this is, because so... it can come at any moment. And that's the same with everything. Even when he's being brilliant and beautiful and lovable as Sirius Black, you still believe that he's been tormented in Azkaban for however many years, and you yeah. still believe that he could completely fuck everyone up even when he's being utterly paternal and loving, it's always there under the surface, which is, I mean, for us watching, it's the gift of Gary Oldman. I'm sure if you're, you know. Yeah, it's not a gift if you're actually. I do think though, Emily, there's also the, the, the chameleon component of it as well. Like, I think that he is one of those guys that... You know, this is relatively early in his career. What I mean by making yeah. big choices, he, and he big can choices, sell it. but like he's great in True Romance, but like you, you forget you're looking at Gary Oldman is, is kind of the thing. It's why I mean, his first Oscar nomination that he gets is for Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy, um, many many years into his career, and everyone was sort of like, this is the first Oscar nominations he's got, and part of it is because I just think that people forget he's in these movies. He is kind of a chameleon, yeah. Um, yeah. and and he's. And I think he's ha- I think he's happy doing it. I don't think that he necessarily needs to be, you know, the lead and stuff. But it is also worth saying a couple of actors that were that were, you know, uh, attempted or possible people that they wanted to play Dracula. Obviously, Daniel Day-Lewis was he's fucking always on the list, right? He's always the guy. Uh, he would have been great. I'm sure he would have been great. If he did this and Mohicans in the same year. I would have been forever changed. Like, that's just <laughs> what would have happened. <laughs> But like he he would have been great. Uh, other names that were kicked around, uh, Nicholas Cage, sure. <laughs> I mean, yes, uh, another oh. person that makes sense. Hey, he's uh, finally Alan... doing it. He's finally playing Dracula yeah, yeah, this year. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Alan Rickman was another name that was considered. Um, Sting, Gabriel Byrne. I mean, these Sting. these are. <laughs> Sting. I'm just thinking about Sting now. Um, hmm. Drew Barrymore <laughs> was considered for the role of Mina. Uh, Juliet Lewis was the first choice to play Lucy. I'm not sure I totally see Oh, that. that would have been great. You think so? I think Juliette Lewis at that time is she just a live so wire. Young. She was yeah. young. But she, but she's such a fucking live wire. She you know? I mean, she always yes. has been. Yes. And like, yes. you know, as much as I love Sadie Frost in that role, and I do, I, I, I would see it. I would, I would. Oh, I, I think, I'd watch yeah. it for sure. I'd watch uh, Juliette Lewis play Dracula. That's a great <laughs> idea. Let's make would it happen. I don't know. Tom, uh, she was so young, though. <laughs> she was this is this year 91 is when she's nominated for cape fear or is it 90 it's early it's, it's yeah it's like i, I do feel like you know one of the things about being a vampire is you're trapped in eternal youth and who better to play an eternal teenage lewis. girl who's mad about it than juliette lewis true. <laughs> that's true uh the only other bit of casting that i love or potential casting is uh that charlie sheen uh was almost cast as jonathan harker which i think is incredible charlie sheen's jonathan harker oh my God. would have been one for the ages charlie sheen's jonathan harker with nick cage's dracula <laughs> Perfect. Like I mean, would watch the shit out of. Oh my god! Uh, Apparently, the preview audiences were freaked out about the blood. They had to cut twenty five minutes of footage from the film to make it less bloody. Um, This movie is pretty bloody. Uh, I I also there's just a bit of this little bit of trivia that I think is uh, that I think is hilarious. So when at the beginning of the film, when he uh, when Dracula stabs the the crucifix right, and he lets out this 
this you know guttural scream as he's i guess turned into a vampire <laughs> by the, i mean I don't, I don't know uh he that scream was actually uh adr by the lead singer of the cramps oh so i think that's just a just a ridiculous little piece of trivia that i think is amazing the Hmm? the priest at the beginning in that scene was that anthony hopkins oh yeah oh yeah oh yeah it was i love i I, I love how in every vampire shining on my telly in a weird way and i i thought it was slightly blurry yeah I love how in every vampire story, like the way, but especially this one, the way you become a vampire is like so elaborate. It's like you're following the instructions to like make ramen from scratch. It's just like, okay, then you got to do this. You got to stab a cross, but make sure you have the right kind of sword for that because you don't want to use, you know. Yeah. I, so I do want to kind of jump through, I mean, not the plot necessarily, but stuff that did kind of jump out at me and whatever. But um, you mentioned the Anthony Hopkins thing. His his fucking VO at the beginning of this movie is incredible. Uh, he, he's just, he's already looming over this movie his voice sort of the way he's describing everything that's going on uh we mentioned dracula's armor when he first shows up is fucking dope i it's this comes back to the 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 costume designer on this film and i want to i don't want to misquote won an oscar didn't they uh yes i think it won best costumes that year and the um sound design eco isha ishaka ishaka my my apologies i butchered that um it has a very japanese asian influence to it that you which which you know francis coppola was very clear with the makeup and the costume designers that he wanted this to be a dracula that no one had ever seen before so when we do see dracula show up like it isn't you know the fucking black cape and the you know it, it is these robes that have a very sort of you know asian influence this sort of uh it really does. And that armor feels almost samurai-esque in some ways, which I think is really cool. I read somewhere that the only note when they were designing the costumes, the only note that uh, uh, Coppola gave them was, can you just make it all a bit weird? Yes. That's all he yes. said, just weird. Just make make weird. everything weird. Um, those little blue sunglasses of... Uh, the best. I need those sunglasses. That whole oh. fucking look is just amazing. I am astonished at the corsets in this movie. Of course, I noticed this as a, like sure, they sure. look impossible to move in. <laughs> and like, obviously, you know, a Winona Ryder and Sadie Frost are young women and, in, in, you know, who are very thin mm-hmm. and like they're able to pull it off. But also I'm like, how are they walking? And like, so, you know, designing a corset that takes in that much and lets you still walk is like kind of an impossible task. And I'm sure that when this won the costume design Oscar, that's what everyone was paying attention to. But like they're bonkers in this movie. It's, it's stunning. I mean, this this whole opening which is about 10 minutes, 10, 15 minutes. You've got that bat, the, the silhouette battle, which is Ooh, fucking dope, amazing. Amazing. Uh, which is incredible. You've got that exquisite shot of uh, Alyssa Bita, his wife, thinking he's dead and jumping out the window and the camera going with her and her falling is, is exquisite. And then the projection of her death over the suicide letter. Like it's all so visual and just arresting to look at. And then like, you have this incredible moment where he obviously 
stabs a crucifix and drinks the blood and screams and then just that slam to the fucking title it's just awesome like this movie is just the intent of this film is so clear from those first 10 minutes right it's like you're either on this ride or you're not and it seems obviously to the tune of 250 people because i couldn't remember anything of this movie before Mm. What rewatching it this week? I can't remember when I saw it before. I can't remember if I've ever seen it all the way through. Even yep. Yep. Um, I remember it frightening me before in Hairy Hands, uh, <laughs> but within the first ten minutes, I because Coppola, arguably the greatest American director, just one of them, yeah, for sure, yeah, and. Lots of people say, you know, this was the the turning point and his glorious heydays in the 70s were behind him. But then lots of people say the complete opposite and that he is a man who can very much move with the times. And this shows him as a master of technique and and cinema history. And within it was this opening sequence that you've just spoken about. Sure. And then cutting to Winona and uh, Keanu having their little scene in the garden and then a kiss. And then suddenly in the foreground, um, peacock feathers open out. And then it's the eye of the peacock watching them. And then it turns into the eye of Drac. And I was 100% on board and knew that I would love every second. (laughs) Yeah. And I nearly did. I do, feel, I do feel like for, in terms of uh, Francis Ford Coppola, like this is a movie that felt like him getting his fastball back after yes. kind of the 80s was uh, such a slog that he kind of had to do Godfather 3 to regain his, his cred. And like, I do wonder, you know, he makes other good movies in the 90s. I kind of like the, the, the Rainmaker, Rainmaker, I think it's called. Yep, yep, I kind of yep. like that movie. But, like, I do wonder if they, if Hollywood had just been like, okay, here's a bunch of classic literature, go nuts, yeah. if that, like, if that would have extended his career another however many years. But then he, like, made a millions of dollars making wine. So, you know, yeah. whatever. I mean, I, I do wonder, you know, to your point, whether, I mean, what his Frankenstein would have looked like, for instance. You know what I mean? I, I, I do think that... um this shows just a totally different lane for him. And I think it it is, it is a bummer that, that he didn't run with it. I I can only assume because he's got like a four year gap between this and Jack. And I can only assume that there's a bunch of projects that just don't come to fruition in that time. But what what is also notable about this is that he got this reputation in the early eighties for going way over budget, way over time. And he's like, I can make a movie that looks like one from the heart, which is a gorgeous movie that destroyed not only his career, but like a studio. And like, I can make that, but I can make it on budget. I can make it on time. You just got to let me do it on a soundstage. And he pulled it off. Like this movie was Mm -hmm. on budget. I think it came in like a day early or something. And like, well, you know, I wish I wish they'd let him do more of this shit. I, well, it's you know, it's funny I, you say that, I Emily. I now Sorry. cannot wait for Megalopolis. Oh, oh, yeah. Megalopolis? Yeah. I yeah. cannot wait. Yeah. I, I will say, though. so financed. So there's nobody saying chill out. <laughs> I... I which is could be a double edged sword. Is I, no, I am. No, I hope it's fucking brilliant. incredible. I'm also like, don't really know what it's going to be. But to your, what I just to piggyback on what you were saying, Emily, when this film was being shot, 
there was all, the, I mean, again, this is a different time, pre-internet, whatever. So it was a lot of just rumor, conjecture and what have you uh, in the trades. But like this movie was dubbed the bonfire of the vampires and that everyone thought it was going to be massively over budget. There was going to be a huge flop and that it was just never going to work. And then obviously it was enormously successful. But but to your point, it's sort of like he comes off of Godfather 3 and everyone's like, oh, he's back to his old shit again. Like he's just, so it, it's weird the films that follow it considering the success of this film is why I just feel like there must have been stuff in those four years. And then eventually just like, I fuck it. I just want to make a movie. So I'm going to make Jack. I don't know. I, well, I he Jack just is... wants variety. He's yeah. allowed. To, yeah. If he's given free reign, he'll, yeah. he'll make as many different things as he can. Maybe. Yeah, I, Coppola <laughs> does not strike me as someone, you know, a Godfather three, notwithstanding who says, Oh, fuck it. I'll fine. I'll make him like I. I, ha- <laughs> I, I have to imagine that uh, there was some part of him, as Tom was saying, he was inter- He must have been interested in doing Jack. On Jack some is level. such a crazy movie. Like I'm it's looking crazy. at the poster for Jack right now on the Wikipedia. I'm just like, how mm-hmm. is this a movie that exists? Robin Williams doing spend- jumping Jack, right? No, it's it's him. It's it's Robin Williams dressed as a, I don't know a ten year old, and he's turning to the camera and waving. Oh, in my memory, it's him on. with his arms and legs splayed out, like he's there is that jumping one too, but this, Okay, this is, that's this, another. This one. might be the uh, the other one. That's I looked. The one I looked this oh up. Oh my god! <laughs> I looked this up. Coppola wanted to make Jack because he wanted to work with Robin Williams, and Robin Williams oh, was like, "I will yeah. only make this movie if Francis Ford Coppola directs it." <laughs> And they like called each other's bluff, and that's why Jack exists. <laughs> that's fantastic. That, I mean, that's it kind of is. Uh, I mean, I, I I respect it in a weird way. I so I I do think that um, the you were talking Tom about uh, some of the techniques that were used, like the the peacock feather, whatever. That leads right into Jonathan's journey, which is fucking incredible. Which is right. all like rear projection and matte paintings and trains, like you know, uh, model trains going along fucking mountainsides. It is exquisite. It is such an unbelievable sequence. It's incredible. It's incredible. And it's the kind of visual imagination that you basically never see in movies today at Mm. all. I feel like in a lot of ways, people have forgotten that film is not just supposed to be like a literal representation of even superhero movies. They do everything they can to make it feel like if you were standing there and this happened in real life, this is what it would look like. Like the, yep. there is no, there's no theatricality. There's no representation. There's no visual imagination totally. in movies now at mm. all, which is why even though like Baz Luhrmann's a lot for me, like I, some of his movies, I can't, I get a, like a literal headache watching. Yeah. I was so won over by Elvis because it's the only movie I've seen in like five years that had this sort of Dracula style yes. This moves into this. We use the iris. It turns into another, like a thing that is conceived, concocted of as a purely visual thing that you can only achieve if you're making a, a movie. You you saying that made me realize that I've been trying to pin down why I like the Matt Reeves Batman so much because I on a, on a lot of levels it doesn't work, but I love that movie, and I think it is because it is trying to find a, a sort of grand guignol middle ground between burton and nolan and like kind yes. of finds its lane that i think is really yeah. interesting anyway i figured out why francis ford coppola didn't make a movie between this and jack oh, so cool, when cool. you want to know that no uh, let's uh, do it so he uh coming into this everybody's like this this might be a hit let's let's line up some other stuff so he goes to warner brothers and they're like 
discussing three projects, the first of which, and this is a thing that evidently every director has to do at some point, is an adaptation of Pinocchio. I was going to say, it's got to be <laughs> fucking Pinocchio. The second, the second of which is an adaptation of <laughs> The Secret Garden, which later actually becomes yes. a movie uh, direct, but he produces it's directed by uh, Agnieszka Holland. It's, it's a good mm-hmm. movie. Yeah. Um, I would have loved to see his Secret Garden. That's that's a book that has a lot of things that Coppola would have uh, sure. locked into. And the third is a biopic of um, J. Edgar Hoover, uh, which also gets I, made. Yeah, by, but that that gets Clint made Eastwood. mini. That gets that gets made in like a different yeah. project. It's not uh, okay. the same. But what happens is Pinocchio falls out of favor at Warner Brothers. He, after Dracula's a hit, he goes to Columbia and says, hey, let's make Pinocchio. And Columbia's like, yeah, let's do it. And then he gets caught in a lawsuit with Warner Brothers over who owns the rights to Pinocchio. It ultimately never gets made. And he makes Jack instead. And that's what he was doing. He was trying to make fucking Pinocchio. Fucking Pinocchio. I mean, there. I will say this, though. And, and I know that this isn't a one-to-one thing, but like... There's a little bit of Pinocchio in Jack. I was going to say, yeah, Jack is sort of a inverse <laughs> Pinocchio. <laughs> so I, I, I kind of can be like, oh, Christ. Like, I'm sure it scratched that itch for him in a weird way. I, I do think, though, the what was the second? Forgive me. What was the second project? The Secret Garden. Secret Garden. It, it also you mentioning that he produced that made me realize that he produced Sleepy Hollow as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so there does seem to be sort of this. Mm. You know, this classical horror affinity for classical literature, I guess, that he does have for sure. Secret Secret Garden is not a horror book, but it is very gothic. It is a very mysterious and spooky book that is aimed at little girls, which is like there's like two books like that. I I would have I think he would have made an amazing film out of that. Yeah. And then he makes Twixt, which I yeah, have very wisely movie. never seen. But from what I can tell from the trailer is also very gothic horror yeah and i can i mean listen guys i think we can assume that megalopolis is going to have its elements of a gothic gothic quality to it as well but clay you're going to come back for our twixt episode right yeah 100 percent. well they just came out with a recut director's cut didn't they (laughs) yeah they did um i i so the entrance of dracula in this film is one of my favorite entrances and because Throughout this movie, they do all sorts of like shadow work that I love where like shadows seem independent of the thing that is casting the shadow. So this idea like that Dracula's entrance is his shadow crawling across the wall. But then when it pans to him, it actually doesn't connect like it doesn't actually make any sense. But it is fucking amazing and it's obviously brilliant. as we mentioned yeah. his his brilliant. his initial look is incredible and Sorry, before yeah. before that yes. when harker uh meets the the uh, horse the coachman <laughs> to take him yes and he reaches out the 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 clawed yes. hand and, and then it just stretches just a little yes. bit too far mm-hmm. and that blew my mind because that's such that's just such a cool thing to decide to do his arm then just stretches it's superhumanly far i love that he because he said dracula was written the same time that the lumiere brothers invented film sure and so he one only wanted to do the film if he could do it only using the old tricks he wanted to go back to you know, Murnau and Fritz Lang and all of those and Cabinet of Dr. Callagher. You look at the 
the oh, yeah. one so shot true. of uh, Tom Waits in the corner of the cell and mm-hmm. it's looking down on him. That's straight out of Cabinet of Dr. Caligari. It's amazing. There's also uh, a lot of... So he, um, so he just got, I'm sorry, he just yeah. got Roman. He said to his son, Roman, you're not doing anything. Do you want to come and just geek out about the old films that we love and see how many little tricks we can do? It's the best. How amazing. That they just get to hang out and do all of the old fancy stuff. Well, it's a lovely, like, father-son thing to do on top of everything else. But, like, (laughs) there's a lot of unnatural movements, too, where people are, like, clearly on some sort of dolly where they're, like, levitating and moving in a way that a person couldn't move. And Mm -hmm. that is sort of how Jonathan is pulled into the coach. It's like he's... The coachman's on a... Like, yeah. an, like a gimbal arm or something. Yes, yes, yes. yes. Yeah. Totally. Uh, but it's, I mean, and that's the kind of stuff you can get. I mean, Phil, there is a behind the scenes, there's an onset photo you're going to love Okay. of them on set on the soundstage. And it's uh, for Francis and, and Roman discussing and Sophia's in between them with a clipboard, like taking oh, notes. I love that so much. Um, you're going to want to frame that and put it, yeah, put I, it in I, your house I, probably. I'm, I'm um, going to get it as soon as we're off this. Uh, uh, but uh, it's it's, you know, making Roman the second unit director and just having him focus as much as, as Francis is focusing on everything else in the movie, having one person. And obviously there's always special effects departments and things, but this is, you know, he has all these incredible artisans and of visual effects supervisors and all these people that every movie has, but having just like a dedicated director, just as Tom said, developing, researching just every single place, where can we put in some sort of an old school, movie magic trick and the fact that they are magic tricks you know mm-hmm. uh, the the eye knows you know like with the this mm-hmm. the the technique of uh and they they show it all of these things are like magic tricks when you know how they did it you're like oh well sometimes you're like oh of course and sometimes they explain how they did it and i'm like my i don't understand <laughs> mechanics or physics well <laughs> enough to comprehend what you're talking about yeah. but like when gary oldman you know goes around a corner and then appears on the other side of the thing is they just gave him a, a his cape had a train that was like 20 feet long. They had him go around the corner, slip out of the cape as people kept pulling it along. And then he just ran over, got in a different costume and came out around the other side. And it's just those little things that the brain just, you know, that tr- tricks the brain. And you, you can tell when it's not a computer aided visual yeah. effect. There's something that the, the brain can still tell and still just be boggled. And, and Coppola said he, he didn't there's so many little tricks in this movie that it's not really important that the audience like notices and marvels over every single one it just he wanted everything as tom said to play into the weirdness there's just a sense of unease a sense of not being of this world that has to pervade every moment of of the movie but he's also having fun too like there's two moments in this first jonathan uh, dracula scene that i love First is obviously when he licks his razor blade after he shaves, and he Ew. does it in that like that just that insane so sort gross. of like he I thinks it. That it he... makes it even worse. There's still some shaving cream on it. Yeah, I think it'd be less <laughs> gross if it was just the blood. It's but just what I love little, about little it is that he thinks he's doing it on the sly. Like he is kind of doing it on the sly. I love that. That it's the <laughs> fucking immortal undead doesn't want to get caught out. Yeah, <laughs> it's fucking great. But then. <laughs> 
the sequence of Dracula crawling down the fucking uh, castle wall, which is done obviously, as you said, old school technique. It's just flat, right? And they're just mm-hmm. shooting yeah. it. It's at like a how Batman and Robin of... used to, yeah, used exactly. to climb yeah. up the wall. But he's doing it like a fucking <laughs> spider with this ridiculous costume. And I, I laugh, but it's so, it's just lovely. It's just funny and stupid. Uh, but that type of stuff where it's like, you can tell everyone's just kind of taking the piss out of this. Do you feel like if you're a vampire accidentally consuming shaving cream from time to time, it's just like a hazard of the occupation? That's just yeah. Like, <laughs> it just happens. It's just a thing. Probably. But then, you know, also to your what you were talking about, um, Clay, about sort of the, the practicality of some of those effects, the whole bride sequence with them crawling up through the bed and through the yeah. sheets, they basically just obviously built a higher bed and they're just right. crawling. Yeah. It's just, yeah. but it's yeah. really effective. But even then, that's one of the least tricky you know that yes, that one's yes, not a magic yes. trick. You watch, and you're like, oh, these yeah. actresses just came up from underneath. But like that's mm-hmm. that's the, who cares? Like you don't go to a play with incredible stagecraft and go, well, that didn't look real. Like you, it, this <laughs> this movie just it dazzles with so many incredible pieces of set design and costume. And and again, I think this is something that people have. I mean, they certainly undervalue now, but seem to have totally forgotten that yep. that. I- that's a, a component of, of totally. filmmaking. Clay, yeah. you're wrong. Every time a play is not strictly representational, I stand up and <laughs> boo. I am not allowed in any. She throws anymore. fruit. Yeah. <laughs> I think also with this, I've just found, and it's not really the word you'd expect about this film, but the way it was shot is so charming. It's so charming that they're doing it like this, that if oh. there are slight, you know, creases, I don't care. Because I'm so in love with the fact that they're just doing it. The um the the three brides, uh, yes. the seduction scene was when my wife first walked in when I was watching, <laughs> and she saw it and she went, "Oh, for fuck's sake, is this for Phil?" Her <laughs> <laughs> exact words. God damn and it! Every time she walked in. It was always, it was either, it was that moment, then it was Sadie Frost rubbing her boobs, and then it was a bit later, and it was <laughs> Oldman licking Winona. Every single time she came in, it was like, oh, okay. My, my wife watched the whole thing with me. It was the first time she'd ever seen it, and she had a very similar reaction of like, oh, fucking Phil. Um, <laughs> no, I uh, I have long had recurring nightmares of people like crawling out of, the bed by which mm-hmm. i mean like crawling up through the bed and i did not realize they're almost certainly because i watched this movie when i was like it must have been 13 right. or 14 yeah yeah so <laughs> it's a great sequence um i i do so at this point dracula figures out where mina is and travels to uh london london right that's london. where where she is right so um i i love that he's just um he basically just kind of is a, a hobo or something. They just like, he's in a box, just hanging out on a boat, basically as they get, at, uh, they get him there, whatever. When he pops out of the, the shirtless young and, and vibrant pops out of this coffin. It's just raw. There's so many great, like um, surprise moments with Dracula in this film that are not like scary. Yeah. They're kind of like silly jump scares. My favorite is when he pops out of the top of frame when he's as the bat thing where where you see the the bedroom and then he like pops right. out of the top of the frame. <laughs> I so I always love seeing how a Dracula adaptation handles the boat ride because there's right. this thing in the book where it's like, well, Dracula gets on a boat for a while and you're like, oh, <laughs> yeah. 
that's exciting but actually like the idea of being trapped on a boat with a vampire is so yeah. scary that i've it kind is. of yeah. always wanted to just see an adaptation yeah well, well emily you know emily you, no you know that that exists and is coming out mm. oh is it yeah, someone made that movie. It's called The Voyage of the Detmer, I think, and oh, it's really? coming out this oh, wow. year. And it's a oh, director wow. who's—it's not—it's like a—I think it's a got some money behind it. It's a, like a real director. I think it's yeah, somebody. That sounds really cool. Wow. It's, yeah. it's coming. They, they do the same. They do Delivered the same hot thing. Hot and fresh, just for you. They do the same thing in Interview with the Vampire as well, which is they travel on boat and they're like, and then we were on a boat and we killed a bunch of people. But yeah, they, <laughs> they always yada yada that. To your point, Emily, which is a bummer. So I'm, I'm glad to hear that someone's actually doing I, that. I'm always surprised because yeah. uh, I keep forgetting it uh, that Dracula is developing an international property portfolio. Yeah, <laughs> that <laughs> always comes as a bit of a surprise. He's into real estate. <laughs> He's into real estate. Uh, the Voyage of the Detmer. Okay, yeah, directed mm. by Andre Ovidal, who directed mm. Troll Hunter. Oh and yeah, the Autopsy oh, of Jane Doe. No. Oh. Uh, and it's starring I, another name I can I never get right. Um, mm. David Dast Dastmelchin. Oh, okay. Mm. Yeah. Uh, okay, he's in all he's in all the James Gunn stuff. You'd recognize okay. him, Phil. He's, oh yes, uh, yes, I do. I know exactly who you're talking about. Yes, in yes. Suicide Squad, he was he in Dark the, Strike. He was in uh, Dark Knight as well. He was. He's in Dark Knight. He, yeah. Yes, yes, uh, yeah. So yeah, he's yeah. he's uh, the star of it. Yeah. Tom, awesome. I love oh. I love that between Glengarry and this, your building a reputation is coming on just to discuss movies about real estate. So <laughs> <laughs> it's my I, thing. The the other thing that I that I love about this film too is um when the camera's just really chaotic, there's just lots of like crazy fucking like, you know, Raimi-esque zooms of of yeah. just like under cranking camera movements and like because there's a bunch of stuff when he's flying that they don't want to show us dracula flying which is reasonable (laughs) so we get pov stuff rather than him actually flying which i appreciate um but and then he like i love when he just turns into like a fucking green mist at one point like dracula is just a stinker in this movie he's just doing all sorts of stuff it's (laughs) it's great he's doing all sorts of stuff and yeah no and and to your point phil with the like the raimi cam is is there is just this and 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 tom i think charming is a million percent the right word to use for this there is this like reckless artistic abandon that they're approaching this with and saying let's just use every technique we can possibly with within our self-imposed limitations our challenge of only doing it the way they could have done it back then you know let's throw everything at the wall and it and it does, I mean, Phil, you know, it, it, I think you, you you maybe said earlier that it, it does feel, from the script, it, it's a little unwieldy, it's a little ev- everything all at once, but it, oh, at the end, it is, as you said, it's a totally a a, a mood and a tone and a, a just an experience more than anything that I think totally works. And you were talking about the edit with the, the jump scares. Mm-hmm. The other thing that makes this movie stand out for me and really made me click with it the first time I saw it is the comedy and there are some comedy edits in this movie that are the fucking funniest shit <laughs> i have ever seen just the stuff it's usually van helsing stuff so i wonder if this was a hopkins, hopkins. influence but him just being like uh these like matter of fact cuts where they're having dinner and they're you know like oh you know how did you deal with them he's like well, and then it like cuts to them standing over Sadie Frost with her head off, and they're like, oh, I, just these hilarious, it's great, hilarious jokes in the edit. You know, when he ch- chops, he goes in to kill the uh, sirens, the, the, the wives. Uh, 
And then suddenly he's outside. He's just got their heads on a thing. And he throws them. Yells and chucks. Ah! Um, <laughs> but no, the 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 comedy and when he's talking to Harker and, and Mina, and they they cut match cut from him chopping off Sadie Frost's head to the, the big yeah. uh, uh, side of meat as he's carving it. <laughs> it's, it's just, that is some, as you mean, you said it about Dracula, but I think Coppola's being a bit of a stinker in this movie. He's just I like, agree. fuck I it, this is I think uh, he's over the top fun. as can be, and it's fun. I'm having I fun. Totally, I mean, Housing literally has a line in that dinner you were talking about where he's like, yeah, she was in great pain, and then we cut off her head. Cut like, off, just, just matter, matter, matter of fact, like, that's just what happened. Cut off her head. It's, it's, yeah, it's, it's very, her her like... Uh, and then he says it earlier as well, where he's like, I just want to cut off your head and cut out your heart. Like, just he's saying things right, like, like, are you are you proposing we do an autopsy? And he's like, not really. I just want to <laughs> cut off her head and take out her heart. It's it's great. I also want to say, too. <sighs> sorry, Emily, I don't mean to, to cut you off. Um, but I just you talking about the um, the vibe of it does make me think that this might be the film of. Francis for Coppola's that reminds me the most of Sofia Coppola. Like, obviously this movie's a lot more dialed up. It's a lot crazier, but like you put this next to a Mary Antoinette or even a beguiled to some degree. And it's like, you can see a, a little bit of a, 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 you know, a mirror unlike his other work, which I don't really think she emulates in any real way. So I do just wonder whether or not this was sort of, um, some some sort of a touchstone for her. But Emily, what were you going to say? Now I want to see Sofia Coppola's Dracula. Uh, right? But uh, I want to see every director's Dracula, honestly. It's one of the stories. <laughs> yes. Every director should just do it. Wes Anderson's I want to see Dracula. Dracula as well. Yeah. <laughs> yes. I, um, I, I remember always uh, Van Helsing being in much more of this movie than he is because he kind of pops in at the halfway point. And uh, I think that the reason for that is like the first time I saw this movie uh, was, you know, I was like 13, 14, and you'd have those parties where people would get together for people's birthday. And like, I lived in a town of 750 people. So literally the only thing we could do was rent movies. And it was always like gross out comedies or like movies that had, you know, naked people in them or whatever, because we were fucking teenagers. And I was like, hey, let's watch Bram Stoker's Dracula. Won't that be fun? And so it's just a bunch of like 13, 14 year old kids like sitting there watching this like weird artistic art deco vision. And I was like, yes, this is what we're here for. But Anthony Hopkins came in and kind of blew my mind because I hadn't seen Silence of the Lambs yet. It was a very similar performance in a lot of regards. And so I just, you know, because he has the VO, I just remembered him being there right from the start. And then when I watched it this time, I was like, no, he's, but he so dominates the second half of this movie that your brain kind of writes him in, especially if you're an impressionable, I must've been 13 at the time. Mm -hmm. And his voice is up top, right? So like he is narrating that opening 10 minutes. Yes. Mm -hmm. So like, I do think that you're feeling his presence and probably, you know, projecting it to some degree. Uh, The one other moment that I couldn't tell if it was supposed to be funny or not. I love it either way is the (laughs) cross cutting between uh, Mina marrying Jonathan and the half man, half beast Dracula weeping. Like he's in full fucking bat makeup and he's just weeping, thinking about these two marrying that I'm just like, this is good shit. I don't know if this is meant, if I'm supposed to take this seriously or not, but I just, I adore it nonetheless. <sighs> That's it's, the magic I'm really, of this I movie. Yeah. I'm with you. Yeah. It's, it's, it's really, uh, so I, I, Okay, so I want to just talk about the sequence where, so Mina has succumbed to her lust for Dracula. Um, 
and they're making out. And then Jonathan, along with his merry troop of, of other suitors, burst into the bedroom to see Mina making out with nothing, right? Dracula is now <laughs> invisible. She's just making out with nothing. Jonathan calls... Blood calls all over her, her face, though. Yeah. Blood all over her face, calls her out and says, Mina! And then he pops out of the top of the frame and goes like, bah! And then he turns <laughs> into a bunch of rats. <laughs> it's That's and one of the best scenes of the movie. Really that really is... Steps on one of the rats. Yes. And then someone, and I always forgot that that scene goes out. The final moment of that scene is they're like, don't let the rats get away. And someone like <laughs> smashes one of the rats. As if though they think they can corral all the rats and trap right. them somehow. And then if, and if, if it's like if, in the T-1000, we're like, if you keep one rat, Dracula can't reform. Right. So like, you know, you I'd the like rats. to see a scene where they manage to catch all of the rats. Yeah, they're just, <laughs> the rest of the movie of is them chasing rats. Tough nuts oh. trying to work out what to do now we've got all the rats. <laughs> so I, I, I kind but of she's still to... in love with them. Mina still is in love with the <laughs> the box full of rats. But Emily, you make a good point that you made earlier that I wanted to kind of um, piggyback on here because I did feel like at this point in the film, it hits a bit of a lull because mm-hmm. at this point you're just sort of like, so Mina's kind of sort of. She's in some in-between state of being human and a vampire because he sort of pseudo-turned her, which I think is is kind of like a That's weird always been step. Under- unclear to me. Yeah, we were just like, well, wait, so what's going on? And then you've got, like, Van Helsing's trying to deal with Mina, but Mina's also, like, luring Dracula back, and we're trying... So there's a little bit of this kind of 10 or 15-minute portion of the film where you're sort of, like, unmoored and unsure what the mission is. There's there In the book, it's a little bit of an addiction metaphor. Like, he's okay. feeding from her, and it's making her more dependent on him. And, like, that's also... Okay. There's a sexual component there, but okay. it is, like, it is this thing... One of the problems with adapting Dracula is that we know this story so well. Even if we don't know Dracula, we know vampire stories so well. Yes. So this portion of the story where everybody's like, what is going on? I don't know. It's like just to sure. audience is just death. You got and you either mm-hmm. you kind of have to adapt it because you can't just go in with like everybody knows it's Dracula and they're going to kill him now. Like yep. you have to establish his supernatural menace. So it's it's a very yeah. tricky portion to adapt. And when every director adapts Dracula, I'm excited to see how they handle it. <laughs> yeah it's it just feels bumpy here because it feels like they don't it, you're kind of neither fish nor fowl right now because mina for all intents and purposes is a little bit of a audience character in terms mm. of us sort of feeling as though like we are mina in this equation to some degree i i i think that it, it just it gets a little bit weird and i don't really know what to make of it at this point but then they kind of breeze through it relatively quickly but then you've sort of got this amazing chase sequence of all these horses on with matte paintings and this fake mountain or that they're that they're riding on and it's i don't know how they made it um i don't know if it in the behind phil, the scenes i can tell you, you phil can you would you like me to tell you i, love to <laughs> I, I did I, I don't know if i've mentioned it but i did watch the behind the scenes featurettes this morning <laughs> please tell us they went in in at the time i'm sure sh- it's probably not there anymore, but there was a stage at MGM that was as big or bigger, the, one of the biggest stages in Hollywood. Okay. And they built a, uh, a, a, an oval track around the entire perimeter of the soundstage okay. and had the mountain 
in 360 oh. around the entire thing and the camera in the middle and they would just run the horses around which, and spin which the they camera. Then did, which then Burton did in Sleepy Hollow. Yeah, Sleepy Hollow had a lot of um, uh, forced perspective stuff that they were doing in that too. I mm-hmm. mean, on the commentary for Sleepy Hollow, I love every time you've got like a horse running through the woods, Tim Burton would be like, that's a horse running at a full gallop through a soundstage. <laughs> like it's just, it's it's crazy to think about. Yeah, not enough horses in sound stages yeah. in movies today. Yeah, not it's, enough it's... horses in movies today. Let's I just agree. be real. I agree. Yeah. It's Guys, true. have you watched? Have you watched Eo? Not oh. yet. The donkey movie. The donkey. Oh, yeah. Is it in a sound? I hear it's sad. Is it in a not on the sound stage though. So mm. fuck them. Fuck yeah. that. Missed opportunity. I, I. So this last portion of the film where it's it's. I guess there's kind of a fight, but it's kind of, it's a weird fight. You got a fight outside this, this castle or church and Dracula is sort of a bunch of people like stab away at him. It's Dracula's castle, right? We just haven't ever seen it from that wide of a shot before, but it's just, I love this castle so fucking weird. It's got all these like pulleys and levers and things. It's like some kind of a steampunk castle. It's (laughs) really strange. It's it's a great sequence and it's it, again it's sort of it's obviously on a sound stage but it's done obviously it's really lovely but like you've got the snow it all feels like this kind of as is the case with any time you're in a sound stage that's supposed to be an exterior your brain is kind of like something feels off but I love that about it yeah. Yeah, um, so it, it feels a little bit off and you've got all this snow and Dracula's in this uh, outfit that is forgive me that is modeled after a famous painting it's um, a, after a Klimt isn't it yes I believe so yes that's it yeah uh, and, and he, it, the, the, the outfit looks very similar to the dress that that person that that woman is wearing in that painting um, it's sort of golden and patchworky mm. and 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 looks almost like a um, like a quilt of some sort it's just it's really it's really beautiful and he's at this point He's old Dracula, but it's not like Dracula from the beginning. Yeah, he in he said that he when he was describing all of his different looks in the movie. Yeah, because uh, it is obviously him in all of the he's the uh, beast Dracula. He's bat Dracula. He's old Dracula from the beginning. He's young Dracula. He said this was he, he called it demonic Dracula is how Oldman described it. OK, sure. Um, that's cool. Uh, I, I they all have I, a bit I, of a stab at him, and then uh, they're all a bit knackered. So say no, let her do it. She can finish it. We know no, you take it from. You got this. You got this, Winnie. <laughs> Weird. It does feel and that. Honestly, way. isn't that just like how it always goes? Oh, here's the lady. <laughs> oh, She'll finish nice. off Dracula. She. So there is. This is part of. I think this speaks to what you guys were talking about earlier we were all talking about in terms of the love story component, because now we're in this moment when we're supposed to really be feeling the, the Romeo and Juliet-ness of this situation of like yeah. these, but do you, you understand? No, I know, but it's not there at all. It's, like, not, I, it's not there. I, I don't yeah. feel it at all. <laughs> right. And it's, I like, don't, you're, you know, you're supposed to be feeling this idea of uh, eternal love and, and, and over, centuries these two beings drawn to one another um and i think part of it is because we don't have a sense of him loving elizabeta at the beginning 
You don't have a scene with them. You don't have and a you're scene. so yeah. distracted. It's, 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 it's all them telling you what you're supposed to care yes. about. But you're yes. so distracted yes. by the blood spewing out of the crucifix and <laughs> wondering if that's Anthony Hopkins or not. That you're just, yes. you're not focusing <laughs> on... Yes. They, they, they don't... Again, from the beginning, they don't sell... The romance as as chemistry between these actors as as a literal thing between these characters. I a, any movie that that tells me I'm supposed to be um, wrapped up in or 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 care about a romance, it just mm. never works. Like I need the movie to do the work. I need to see it between the characters. Uh, I absolutely agree. I I feel as though. Um, it would have done wonders for us to at least have had a scene with Winona and Gary up top before he goes to war or something like that. Yeah. But they, they've committed to, and I, I don't necessarily think it's a bad idea, but they've committed to this storytelling component for the first sequence where like Anthony is narrating this story to you. Yeah, um, a- but it does, it does a disservice to, uh, to what we're talking about. So, I mean, what do you I do? think you also like the buy-in of, Okay, Dracula's in love with with Mina because she's the reincarnation of his dead wife. Mm-hmm. That makes sense to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, but when you are like, well, she also feels wrapped up in this. Like that is the thing that you have to like really sell. And the ending yeah. of this hinges on that. And they're like, I remember now. And it's it doesn't. Yeah. It's yeah. a little Wizard of Ozzy for my tastes. You know, mm-hmm. it's just kind of like. <laughs> Yes. Just kind of like, oh, of course, now I know. And goodbye. I'm sorry you're dead. You know, even though I killed you. Yeah. <laughs> There's also, and you just kind of mentioned it, but like, uh, it kind of takes you out when she has to chop his fucking head off. <laughs> that rules, dude. But it, it, it takes rules, you out. It's like the last thing so that it That <laughs> is just the final, oh my God, the final like perfunctory, uh, you know, punctuation moment of her being like, well, and kapam, and then it goes <laughs> into the credits. You're like, yes. they they did not lose their their they they didn't blink once in this movie they went all the way to the end credits being like we're just gonna do what we're fucking doing here fucking fucking praying mantises are romantic creatures that's all that's happening here it's just i I, I can't disagree i can't disagree um i do want to rate this film because i want to hear what you guys think of that and then i also want to hear what you think about the film the recovery next week but um so interesting i didn't see this film in 92 as i mentioned the trailer scared the shit out of me i saw it probably a few years later um (laughs) um, probably when i was about 16 or so um and i liked it fine um and and you know to, to come full circle here you know with clay and my relationship uh the, the Dracula thing as well is that uh, I knew you were a big fan of it before rewatching it, not even for this, but like I rewatched it a couple years ago mm-hmm. when we first yeah. sort of uh, started podcasting and because you spoke so highly of it. And I was like, I don't know, like, is this movie like, is it that great? And then I watched, I was like, well, fuck, this movie's actually like, this is so cool classic. And how have we not been talking about this? Um so I was probably, when I was a kid, I was probably in the like 60s, 65, 70. Like I liked it fine. Then I rewatched it and I was in like, you know, mid 80s. I'm at like a 90 now. Like I think this movie is fucking great. Um, you know, I, I, I we, we've talked, we've waxed philo- philosophically and poetically about this movie. But honestly, I just think from a filmmaking technique perspective, if nothing else, it should be watched by like every fucking filmmaker. Like it just needs to be seen as to how to execute that sort of shit. But uh, what about you, Tom? Where are you on? Uh, I, I agree with you. I think if you love film, hmm. there is no way you cannot love this. 
it's mm-hmm. absolutely terrific. I I uh, I love that it's both an homage to uh, Days Gone By, and yet he's also it's incredibly um, uh, mature filmmaking as well. I love that. The, a, a few years ago, I went to, at the BFI here in London. They played the um, the uh, Murnau Nosferatu with Max Schreck. And I love that Coppola was like, that is the best, not only the best Dracula, but the best horror film ever made. And it is. It's absolutely, I was shocked at something from, what was it, 1923, something yeah. like that. I was shocked at how amazing it is and how effective it still is. And so for Coppola to say, I'm going to have some of that, even down to the, <laughs> the Max Shrek coming out yes, of the yes. coming out of the coffin. Mm-hmm. I'm just going to do it because I fucking love films. Yeah. And it's written all over every single frame of it. Totally. And and I'm completely with him. I love that this has been made. And I wish that someone would do something like this again. I couldn't agree more. I, I mean, we are getting a Nosferatu from Robert Eggers. Uh, oh, what that's that going to rule. Like. the best person to I love Robert yeah, Eggers. That could rule. The best yeah. person to do it. This, yeah. It could be brilliant. Um, yeah. So... Yeah, I don't remember seeing this before, but I'm pretty sure I did. So I I couldn't give you what score it was. Right. But where um, are you now? Right now, it's in the it's in the nineties. If there were slightly more dimensions to a few of the characters, sure, sure, sure. Uh, but that's not really too much of an issue for me when the rest of the film is just so gorgeous. And you've got two of, the, in my opinion, two of my favorite actors ever. Just well, I've never up. asked you this question before, Tom but I'm curious and it might become a recurring segment as we uh, have you on in future episodes. But uh, what role would you want to play in this movie? If you could. Oh God. Uh, I mean, <laughs> I mean, God, there, I don't mean there, to put you on the spot, but like the, the thing is that the three that I mentioned, the three directs, you know, uh, uh, Dracula and Van, Van Helsing, Helsing and Renfield, I'd go Renfield. Renfield gives you a lot to chew on. Right. Great. My well, it wife's gives you flies. My, <laughs> wife, <laughs> yeah. My wife's grandfather, mm. back in the 70s, it must have been, mm. he was an actor and a producer, and he produced in the West End a play of Dracula with Terence Stamp as oh. Dracula. And you look it up because he... The, the, the sexiest man who's ever lived and he's Dracula all kitted out as you'd imagine with a really sexy 70s moustache and apparently it was so bad that it closed after a week it was oh, just no. terrible <laughs> but oh, no. Dracula I mean yeah. there are so many different things you can do with Dracula and it, is it Willem Dafoe playing for Eggers uh, because he, did, he it? did it before it's gotta in be the Shadow, he played it in uh, Shadow, Shadow of Vampire yeah and was excellent. Um, and Klaus Kinski, of course, was brilliant. Oh my god! Uh, yeah, sure, he was sure. amazing with it. Christopher oh, let's Lee see here, Nosferatu. I, I know that uh, uh, what's his face is in it, uh, Bill Sarsgaard, but I don't know if he's playing. Oh dang, he's a Dracula-looking motherfucker, though. So, <laughs> is it is it Bill? It might be. Hold on, I, I'm not finding it by the title. Hold on, see here, Robert. Uh, there is there does appear to be a thing that has willem dafoe and aaron taylor johnson in it um, yes yeah. aaron taylor johnson willem okay. dafoe holt who is in oh Ren- yeah he's oh, in renfield. renfield in renfield he is 
Lily Rose Depp, Bill Sarsgaard. So we don't know what roles they're playing. Simon McBurney's in it. He's always good. Oh, Emma Corrin. I would kill to see McBurney's uh, Dracula. (laughs) Actually, is Renfield. Maybe he's, I mean, yeah, maybe he's Renfield. I don't know. God, he's so good. It's a great cast, and I'm I'm hopeful. But I will say this: I was a little disappointed in the Northman. I liked oh, it. No, no, amazing. I really will not stand for that. I hear so many. I hear so many people saying that, and I'm, I'm just always like, con- no, I'm convinced. Well, they're all. Oh, it's interesting. Is they're all my writer friends are like, I didn't like that movie, or not? I did, but are like, I was disappointed. I didn't hate in that it. Movie. Yeah, I mean, and I'm always like, I don't know, something about it just really. I think I think I, um, I gotta I rewatch think it when when you've got. Bjork and Willem Dafoe in, you know, something about the Norse guys going fucking nuts. I just want more of them. Bjork's Bjork's Dracula. That's what I'd like to see. Give me Bjork's Dracula, please. I think it was realizing that it was an adaptation of the original story that gave rise to Hamlet that just like really tickled my my, my pleasure. The thing is, I I think I, I, I truly do need to watch it again because it was an early... 2021 movie so it was like early in the sort of I'm going to see movies again and I was just really excited and I think I just sort of it was a little bit more mellow than I expected it to be so I just I need to give another shot but all that being we said on, the posters on on buses in London the the quote I can't remember which reviewer it was but they mm-hmm. should probably be shot uh it said this generation's gladiator no. <laughs> <laughs> Don't do that. That's, I mean, that's, yeah. uh, Emily, where do you where do you fall on Bram Stoker's Dracula? I'm going to make this quick because my my wife just passed by me and was like, "You about done?" Um, we're we're almost done. Yeah. <laughs> no, I know. Uh, in uh, in when I'm I saw this, ruin any marriages here. No, you're fine. I you're fine. You're fine. She she will always love me. Um, it's just like not Dracula me, and Mina. Yeah, just it's like Dracula real. and Mina. Uh, the uh, uh, yeah. When I saw this in probably '94, as I've always said, I only gave movies a '99 or a zero back then, so it was Very a '99. Cool. Yep. Um, I had sort of mellowed on it into, I'd say, the high seventies mm. over a couple of rewatches, and this time I was I was really vibing with it. I, I think I'm going to go eighty six. I think I think it has some issues for me with the portrayals of. I just think that that Mina is is not given her full due yeah. here, uh, but the the fucking just like the in camera effects and all that, really brilliant stuff, and covers up for a lot of flaws in the script. <clears throat> Mr. Keller. Yeah, so I did, again, I did not see this when it came out. I didn't see it until, I don't know, probably 2015 or 2016. And I actually watched it in the midst of a horror movie marathon that I, that, that I was doing in October. It was probably after I'd watched seven or eight other horror movies. And it was just, the yeah, the, the craft on display was just absolutely mind-blowing. And, and yeah, it was like an eight, high 80s. Then I saw it on the big screen mm-hmm. at the Egyptian. Recently, yeah. Uh, wow. I missed the one recently. Oh, I saw it pre-pandemic, maybe 2017 or 2018. I saw it at the Egyptian mm-hmm. and on the big screen, it's just everything that we love about it is just amplified, you know, all sure. that much more. Uh, and it's just lived in the nineties for me since then, which is crazy considering that, like I said, the, in the intended narrative thrust of the movie, this romance does not play for me at all and it's but it's incidental it's everything else about it the humor everything we've been talking about everything else about it is such a delicious you know bouillabaisse of ecstatic cinema that i guess you know it's it doesn't matter to me that the narrative kind of falls 
like the emotional <laughs> core kind of falls flat. It's just, it's so fun. It's just totally winning. My wife has clarified that she was just happy that I was standing up for the Northmen against Phil Slender. Oh, there you go. So, okay, so um, it all works. Uh, okay. I do. I do want to shout out. We talked a little bit about this, but I want to shout out the '93 Secret Garden that Coppola produced. I think it's a fantastic little movie. It uh, has a lot of vibes with this one. Like this movie's about sexual repression. That movie's about children being taught to repress their sadness and how that's bad and needs to come out. It's shot by fucking Roger Deakins. So, uh, Ooh, okay, really, I really lovely movie. Yeah. It's on HBO Max. Check it out. I. So next week, uh, we will be covering Scent of a Woman with uh, Rochelle Lefebvre um, and uh, a movie that I'm just finding out about. <laughs> well, I, because I know our schedule. And yeah, for sure. Right. So it's going to be fine. Uh, but uh, it is a movie that um, I loved as a kid. Uh, I have not watched it in a quite a long time. Um it, it, it kind of occurred to me the other day as I was figuring out what we were covering next. The movie's called Scent of a Woman. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. yeah. And? <laughs> I, it is... There's a lot yeah. that we're going to unpack. It's he, Phil, it's because he's blind. Yeah, no, no. <laughs> as, as Brian Adams famously said, tell me, have you ever really, have you ever really smelled a woman? Like, <laughs> Is that the end credits so, song? Yeah, I believe so. No. I, so we're going to talk about this movie, this movie that, that I do feel has sort of, you know, its legacy in a lot of ways is it's the it's the movie that Al Pacino won Best Actor for. It's his first Academy Award. It's his only Academy right. Award. Um, he notoriously beat Denzel Washington for Malcolm X, uh, a, a movie that that <laughs> and a performance that's towers over uh hoo-ha and and various other things that he does in this movie I I mean, the we, dark here. <laughs> we all know that remake. scent of a woman was a makeup oscar because he didn't get nominated for sea of, for sea of love <laughs> and i'm only joking a little a little bit it's a makeup oscar rules. for dick tracy i just i'm always gonna say that <laughs> dick tracy it's yeah. so i'm very excited to talk about this film but i'm curious tom Clay, have you seen this film at all recently? Do you do you what are your overall feelings Has on Sentinel Woman? Has anyone seen this movie I recently? Know. I don't know. Unless it was an assignment for a podcast. <laughs> but like this is Martin Brest, you know, a filmmaker who you know, had done a bunch of other, you know, big successful movies. Yeah. Um and this this movie it was nominated for best picture it's nominated for best screenplay uh it's nominated for best director this was a big oscar movie in 92 um i don't know guys i i wonder if i'm curious emily obviously i'm very excited to hear your thoughts on on scent of a woman on 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 what women smell like yeah on mm-hmm. what women smell like on on just sort of Listen, I think this movie is probably not going to hold up in a lot of ways, but I also have such a weird irreverence for it. Like as a kid, I watched it so many times. Right. I'm wondering yeah. whether or not it holds up at all. Tom, have you I, seen Scent of Woman? Again, as a kid, okay. I okay. loved it. And I really loved Pacino. Sure. I haven't watched it for many, many, for decades. But I thought about it when I did a show called C. Uh, a mm. few years ago, and I was playing a character who's blind, most of the characters are blind. And I was thinking of Pacino's performance and of the film as a whole. And I thought, yeah. this isn't, this is not going to hold. <laughs> this, 
<laughs> this is I I should rewatch it, but I can't quite bring myself to yet. Uh, but it's, I will. It's um yeah. I also and Chris O'Donnell, Please. isn't it? Chris O'Donnell, a very young Philip Seymour Hoffman. Guys, yeah, PSH in this shit. Yeah, yeah. it's written. Oh, and I work with someone in it. Gabriel Anwar. Yeah, and Gabriel Anwar. Anwar. It's written by um, Bo Goldman, who's generally pretty good. So, like, um, yeah, I don't have high hopes, but maybe. (laughs) Yeah, I I don't have high hopes. Um, It's on sale right now on iTunes for three dollars, so I purchased it. Uh, So I own Santa Woman now. Hey, Phil, that's on a list somewhere now. Everybody knows. Yeah. I think I'm going to rewatch it, and I'll I'll send you an email. Please tell me what you think of, of yeah. your thoughts I mean, on Central Woman. Yes, Central Woman, and I have not watched it. I watched it once in college, yeah, and sure. all I remember is Philip Seymour Hoffman and you know hua. Yeah, that's no, no. but it's it's if if for people who are wondering, so they see you know early. Pacino and late Pacino, and they're like, yeah. where, where did this switch happen? And then you watch that's... Scent of Woman, and you're like, he got an Oscar for saying, Hoo-ah! and that's, and then that's yeah. what he was for the rest that's of the time. Although, Phil, I don't know yeah. if you remember what I, what I remember most about this movie. Yeah. And, and it was unlocked for me as we were talking about the poster, these, that trend of posters of, 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 of Hook and, and Batman. And this movie is, I don't remember the, the poster for this movie was a close up on a woman's neck with the very simple tagline, take a whiff. <laughs> I wish that was true. I don't know if you remember that. I really that wish that was true. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I don't think they well, did I'm... teaser posters for Sensible Woman. <laughs> I'm just warning you, I'm turning this into a stealth Dick Tracy episode. There's nothing you can do to go, stop me. Go for it. Uh, that is, that that is to me. Because so Dick Tracy's 90, right? Mm-hmm. And then mm-hmm. this is 92. I think, I think to your, uh, to your point, Clay, it actually might be Dick Tracy that is the, the performance. That, oh, for sure. I just wanted his... to say hua a couple of times. Because it's also, <laughs> that's his Nicholson Batman, right? Mm-hmm. Like, that's him being like, I'm a cartoon character. How far can I go with this? And then everyone's just like, keep doing that. <laughs> this, we love this. So, we will um, never get sick of this. <laughs> guys, thank you so much for coming on. Clay, will you plug thank your you. podcast a little bit and let us know where we can find you and listen to your dulcet tones? Yeah, absolutely. I host a show called Screen Drafts, where we have people come on and competitively collaborate in creating best of lists for given topics. Uh, it's, a, it's a little bit game strategy. It's a lot of bit movie discussion. Uh, occasionally, <laughs> there's some consternation. Emily was just on. She was. We did our big, I mean, I don't know when this is coming out, but as we're recording this, we just mm-hmm. did our big best of 2022, what we call a mega draft, where we bring on four people and have them all collaborate on ranking the top 20 movies of the year uh and it was a real barn burner it was crazy Uh, emily you've had some time to reflect on what happened there i do you feel good about what happened i wish i had fought harder for babylon because at that point i hadn't rewatched it and then i rewatched it and moved it all the way up to number four in my rankings for the year and like if i had done that beforehand i would fought fought harder for it and babylon would be the number one movie of 2022 jacqueline said that if you had had a more full-throated mm-hmm. defense of that she wouldn't have vetoed i was embarrassed by my love for it and now i no longer am no let's not you know? be embarrassed it's, no yeah, yeah we emily we had we were able to attend that sold out screening of babylon instant cult yeah. classic at the arrow which was yeah. which was a blast but yeah phil has been on many times including the aforementioned or i don't know if this was on mic or off but the mm-hmm. uh 
Winona infamously Ryder contentious draft. Winona Ryder draft. Uh, Although not as contentious Schwartz. as the uh, Spielberg draft, I don't think. I think that no, one got, no, no, of course hotter. not. Not as. Yeah. Uh, but Phil's been on a lot. Uh, Tom is obviously finding out for the first time right now that he's going to be on someday. So yep. it's, right. it's, um, it's a great gonna, show. You're going to have it. a great time on that on that show. Believe uh, me. Uh, Tom, do you have a, like a smaller role of yours that you would love our our listeners to seek out? <laughs> Do you have something you want to plug? Role. Do you have anything that you want to just tell any, yeah, to anything watch? you're working no, on? I'm, or anything? I'm unemployed. Thank you for bringing it up. <laughs> so am I. This is the thing. This is what we have in it's, common. It's true. So. It's true. I, I mean, I will say that you know, uh, if people haven't watched you in Watchmen, they should fucking do that. Like, what are they doing if they haven't? Yeah, done but that? just remember, that's not my penis. <laughs> You'll know what I mean. If there's a full quote for this episode, it should be. Phil, let's end the episode there. The episode ends there. It's a perfect cap. Uh, As always, that's not my penis. (laughs) Uh, uh, We can't wait to talk uh, Muppet Christmas Carol with you at a later date. It's going to be great. I can't wait. Um, And uh, Uh, thank you. If you want to join for Lawnmower Man, I think we're going to need all the help we can get. (laughs) True. if 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 we want to pair on every single episode we do, I am fully on board with that. It would be great. Love it. All right. Thank you so much, guys. We'll Thank you. Thank you. Bye, guys. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more, with Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. quince.com slash style.